Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our annual uh, Phantom Correspondent NBA podcast. This is part two. I'm Josh the Wise Sage. I've got with me from our very first part uh, our good friend Chase. Chase, how you doing tonight? Still doing just fine. Well, good, good. We 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 split this up into two uh, into two parts, not only for. Uh, you got you're you're listening. Uh, the ease of you guys listening, um, but also because uh, we were both uh, running on fumes, and so we're you know we're trying to make this as coherent a podcast as possible, um, which you know uh, is is a difficult thing to do when you're talking about the NBA anyway, because there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of uh, characters, there's a lot of stats, there's a lot of stuff to deal with. Uh, you know, it, it's like uh, it, it is it is really a a uh, a really deep league these days and uh one of probably some of the deepest uh talent pool we've ever seen uh you know chase we didn't talk about this in the first in the first uh in the first podcast and we didn't talk about it last year either um i'm gonna spring this on you're not ready for this i didn't say i was gonna say anything to you about it um but it should be it i mean you'll you'll be up to it up to the task um uh, expansion uh, coming in probably two to three years looking like uh, seattle and vegas are going to get teams. What do you think about that? You think the team you think the league is deep enough to do that? Yeah, I mean, my concern with expansion always because it seems like that from my understanding there's some kind of expansion draft like maybe each team can lock in five players and then they can draft out of the remaining players or something like that. I definitely think there's enough talent going on around there. I mean, uh, of course some players are uh, kind of waved or left off of teams, not because of talent, but because of maturity issues or fit issues or legal issues or some combination of all of those things. But yeah, there's absolutely enough talent to add 30 to 40 more active players that are in the NBA. Um, so again, getting there is kind of difficult because I, I, I know the NHL did that not too long ago and the team that, uh, one of the teams that, was part of the expansion is really, really good now. And I don't know enough about hockey to say uh, if the expansion draft was a little bit weird and that, yeah, maybe they didn't get any top 20 players, but their entire team is probably like none of them are bad. Like their 15th best player or whatever is probably better than the eighth best player on anybody else's team or something like that. So uh, the expansion could be weird, but a couple of things definitely think there's enough talent and then just like the cities, like there are a couple of cities, of course, that we would love to see get teams. One, obviously, people have really been wanting Seattle to get another team, and I would be shocked if they expand to 32, if Seattle's not one of those. And then it might kind of mess up the East-West dynamics, but I feel pretty strongly that Vegas is interested in getting an NBA team, too. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts both on like the feasibility of expansion, but if you have any cities that... Uh, you think are both reasonable and you would really like to see get a team. Yes. Yeah, so I think Vegas and uh, Seattle make the most sense and just shut Memphis over to the Eastern conference. Um, you know, is probably the, probably the best idea. Memphis should be in the East anyway. Uh, it, I think it's kind of a strain on them uh, the way they play uh, to put them in the Western conference. So I think just moving Memphis over is probably uh, your best bet there. And then, um, I, Vegas and uh, uh, Vegas and 
Seattle seemed like good, good teams. Um, you know, I saw Vegas. Uh, you, you mentioned hockey. I'm assuming you mean the Vegas Golden Knights as the expansion team you're talking about. They've been wildly successful. Um, they, um, you know, I mean, if, if it's a similar, excuse me, if it's a similar ownership style and similar ownership group, um, so you want about Vegas, I'm, you know, Vegas is a, Vegas is a weird place. Um, kind of draconian, uh, you know, kind of like something out of some like, you know, like mystical mobsters paradise kind of thing. Um, but they're all typically, you gotta be a pretty good businessman, uh, to, to survive in Vegas. And there's a lot of bad business people that own sports teams. Uh, not as many in the NBA as I would say in like the NFL or even in baseball, um, but there's, but you, you know, you want good business people. You want people with good business sense and you want people that don't mind to spend, um, so that you don't end up looking like, uh, what the Charlotte Hornets have looked like for the past few years. Um, so, you know, Vegas is a good place for that. Uh, Seattle is my number one place for a team. I miss the supersonics. The supersonics were a T te- one of my favorite teams in the nineties. Um, they just were really cool. Uh, always had, uh, yeah, I mean the thing the, the sad thing about Seattle is you know they could have kept their kept you know, they always seem to get cool players you know you always had Gary Payton Sean Kemp you know you had Ray Ray Allen's best years are there um, and then you know they had a really bad couple years and somehow got Kevin Durant he played his first year in Seattle and then just never played there again it's kind of a really sad situation so I'd really like to see a good Seattle team again. Uh, you know, that'd be something I'd be rooting for, you know, buy a T-shirt, something like that. You know, uh, I'd be really happy about it as far as the feasibility of it. Um, so expansion is interesting because it was really successful. Well, so let me say this. It was not successful in 88 when they did Miami and uh, Minnesota. Miami and Minnesota took a long time for them to get uh, their feet off the ground. And you had some really uh, uh, you had some really over expansion there. Uh, you contrast that with Charlotte and Orlando, who were extremely popular teams right out the gate, um, partially, partially because of Shaq, obviously, in 92. But then also with Charlotte Hornets, you had Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, Kendall Gill, and the coolest starter jacket in the history of of clothing. Room. One of the coolest uh, clothing items. You, you've seen a Charlotte Hornets starter jacket, right, Chase? Oh, yeah, it's iconic. It seems yeah. like not everybody had one, but... Everybody knows that jacket. Even if you don't think you do, if you see it, you're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that thing." Yeah, I would give anything for them to bring that back. I would buy. I'd buy a two XL version of that in a second. I had one. I had. I had one of those. I also had a Phoenix Suns uh, starter jacket too, which was pretty cool. Uh, those colors seem to pop. If you're wondering why I didn't have a Lakers one, it's because they didn't sell Lakers stuff in Owensboro, Kentucky, until Kobe and Shaq got there. And I'm still bummed about it. But anyway, I don't want to talk about that right now. But. um but Charlotte, uh, Charlotte and Orlando were really, were really successful right out the gate. Um, and then Toronto and Vancouver took a long time. Vancouver never set. Uh, Toronto's still around, but you could you could argue Toronto, even though they've won a title, still kind of a still having a hard time maybe getting their feet uh, under them. And then I, the Bobcats were a outright disaster that most NBA fans have forgotten even existed. Um, so you've got really a hit and miss idea if you're looking at the history of NBA with expansion. I think right now you'd be looking at a really good time to expand because I do believe there are players, um, there are players that are the seventh and eighth best players on teams that could go and really make a dent 
uh, and really make teams competitive if you just put a bunch of them on the same team. Um, so, uh, yeah, to answer, you said uh, they protect five. It's typically in every one so far, you protect seven players. Um, and then they pick from the other eight. Um, so, like, you know, I mean, if you, if you just take like a like a team, like Chase Hate Ducey, if you take a team like the Celtics, you know, you can get a pretty fine player, you know, in the seven for, in the eight for ninth best player. I mean, you know, you grab somebody like Sam Hauser, who's really kind of a a project, you know. I mean, you know, but nobody really knows what he is. Um, you know, you could you could grab somebody off of if you want to do LA, you could get someone like Cam Reddish, you know, who can at least get you buckets, you know, I mean, you can go out there and get some, you know, empty calorie points, you know, like Jordan Poole's doing for the wizards right now, you know, you could, you could have that guy. Um, so there's, there's, there's ways to do this in a way that makes sense. The other thing that always happens with expansion, there's always two or three guys where you're like, that guy's in the expansion draft because people want to get rid of, of contracts. So you could definitely see something uh, interesting go on with that. Uh, you know, you could, you know, I'm just trying to think, of course, you know, a lot of people are, are wondering, you know, like, you know, is this how this how you get out, out of Rudy Gobert's contract? So you get out of Carl Anthony Towns' contract. This is how you get out of, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard's contract or something like that. You know, um, there's 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 a lot of weird stuff that could happen in this expansion draft. It couldn't make it the most interesting one yet. Uh, so, yeah, I'm ready for it. I hope it happens in the next couple of years, actually, because I really do think you could have two extra teams. And, uh, I, you know, um, and also, you know, Chase, what could be really interesting, you know, that we didn't even bring up yet, but, you know, it it's really looking like LeBron's going to be part of the ownership group for the Vegas one if there's a Vegas team. You know, what do you think about LeBron as NBA owner? You know, has he where, where would he land? Would he be would he be closer to the Michael Jordan level of NBA owner or would he be closer to the Magic Johnson? I'm going to grab LeBron James and then leave here, uh, you know, having done my having done what I was supposed to do kind of NBA owner, you know? I mean, wh- where, where do you think he would land on that continuum? Uh, so, I mean, I kind of feel like the Michael Jordan one isn't a bad comparison. I thought, I, I'm surprised that Jordan's success has been as limited as it has been. Success might not even be a good word for it. He has not um, any. Right. Um, so, uh, like, it surprised me a little bit. I mean, you have to consider what team that he's part of the ownership for or was part of the ownership for. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when you see LeBron, it's hard to really piece it together because it's so strange how he has built teams around him. And it, it seems like they've made mistakes that even like the average fan kind of question, like, I, I don't really understand why you brought in a player like Russell Westbrook to play big minutes for your team, or like you could go down the list of different questionable decisions and why have you never had more shooting or why have you overloaded on one thing or another different things? So um, my, my gut instinct would kind of be that I'd be afraid of it. But then if you remove him from the list of players, he, he definitely, he understands the game of basketball at an obscenely high rate. So it, that's one of the things that just has never really clicked to me is why he's been bad about building a team around himself. But maybe if you extricate him from the situation and he's looking at it purely from a third-person point of view, maybe that would work out. I would have my doubts based on his track record, so I think he'd kind of be along the the Jordan line there. And I have a feeling maybe you would agree, or are you going to surprise me? Um, I think um, 
the irony, of course, is like for me, Jordan be a fine owner if he wasn't so involved in basketball stuff. Um, I don't think I don't think he's a good GM, um, and he's also the kind of guy who, as a as a player, was a was a bully, and was someone who was very intent on dominating the spirits of other players, both uh, on the teams that he was against and on the teams that he was on. And that does not work in a, <laughs> in a general manager or head of boss basketball operations kind of thing for whatever I will say about LeBron. He has never been that guy. I think LeBron is, can be selfish. I think LeBron can be petulant and childish, but he's never been a guy that's like, you know, going to say, Hey, if you don't catch this ball, the next one's going to take your head off. Um, so LeBron would be an interesting owner just because like, depending on how you frame it, he could be the best owner in the league. If just like, just by being LeBron, um, as someone who's like a Mark Cuban figure, you know, Mark Cuban didn't have a whole lot to do really with, uh, basketball operations in Dallas, but he, he is, he is there as someone who's like the face of the franchise. You know, he's the guy that's like, you know, I remember distinctly, like, you know, when he when he first went, you know, one of the first two years he had Dallas, whatever, like he revamped the locker rooms, you know. And so, like, everybody, like, had these, like, you know, these VIP kind of lockers, you know, and like, I, just like just setting things up and, and you know, you know, you're going to be very comfortable as a player here kind of thing. Um, LeBron can be that guy, you know. LeBron is a as a guy who's going to tell you, like, who's good and who's bad at basketball. You know, he's he's been his own worst enemy in a lot of ways. Uh, he's picked a lot of players to be on his team that I have been really that I've been really shocked about. Um, you know, and so uh, so I don't know about that part, but I do think I think he he could be a good owner. I think he could. I think I think he could be a a, a good owner and someone who is uh, someone who can really uh, market the team that he is uh, that he's an owner of. And that's really what an owner should do. Um, so yeah, I, I think he could. I know. I know. I'm surprising you with that, but but uh, you know. But that, that that I truly believe that. I really do. All right. Yeah. Very level-headed response from you. Are you sure you're okay? Oh, don't worry. I'm getting ready to talk about how uh, different, like five different LeBron trades we can make this season if things go south. So don't worry. We're good. There we go. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about the Western Conference. Uh, we talked about the Eastern Conference of the first round, or the first round of this. We also talked about some storylines that we're looking into. So definitely check that out uh, when you at your convenience. I don't really think one of these can go before the other. It's just you know kind of uh, just you know whichever one you want to listen to first. Uh, but yeah, tonight we're talking about the Western Conference, which does feature, of course, my favorite, uh, my favorite player. Uh, or my favorite uh, team, uh, the LA Lakers, um, you know, who who are definitely a team for that I consider uh, to be on the watch list. I hope Case does too, or else we're just gonna we're just gonna hang up. After, particularly after I said such laudatory things about the Celtics, he could at least do do me that favor. Um, so let's go. Let's do this, Chase. Um, I'm just gonna go down my list, okay? And and I, 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 here's who I think you have, okay? I I feel like you've got we both got the Nuggets right. Yes, we do. Okay. Um, do you have the Warriors? I do. Okay. Do you have the Lakers? I do. So our 
And then the fourth one, then. So we're going to split because I don't have the sons and you do. Yeah. Okay. So let's do. So I haven't placed the sons. And by the way, I want to say this real quick. I'm very angry because I thought, like, literally back in August, okay, when I was thinking about this podcast, and I was thinking about, like, you know, what are we going to talk about? You know, who's going to be my four teams? And I was watching, you know, the summer league, you know, and I was just, you know, and then preseason started. And I just was like, oh, man, I just cannot wait to be, you know, be ahead of the game and say the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to win 50 games in the West this year. And I was just so ready. I was like, man, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be so that's going to be such a such a hot take, but it's going to be like a take that makes sense, you know. And like I'm going to do this year what I almost pulled off of the Pelicans last year because the Pelicans were playing fantastic and then they fell apart. But like I was, you know, I'm going to look like a genius. And then literally everyone started picking them, Chase. Like every, like, so like I'm picking the Thunder, but like I don't even feel cool about it anymore because, I mean, I mean, you've heard a lot of people picking them, right? Oh, yeah, I hear a lot of people picking them. I think in some ways they have too much pressure on them, I think at least if they are hearing everything that people are saying about them and trying to live up to that. I think it's perfectly realistic that they can live up to these expectations, but I wonder if on like the median outcome, if it's a little bit too lofty. So I'll go ahead and tell you, they are my wild card team because I think they are way too young for most anybody to typically, typically consider a team like this a contender. But uh, as opposed to my contenders in the East, where honestly I think it went too deep, in my opinion, maybe three. I think the contenders do go a little bit deeper in the West, and I feel much more confident that the Thunder are close to contention than I do my fourth and fifth teams out in the East. So I, I, I like the pick, even though it's not as spicy as either one of us would like it to be. So, yeah, let's let's get them out of the way in a second. I, I, I want to ask this real quick, because I, I should have done this earlier, and I'm sorry. Because I've even got, I've got like a little, I actually have like a a, a a sheet that I have actually, you know, worked on. And I meant to ask this, and I, I just overlooked this. But Case, like, realistically, there's 15 teams in the West. I think 13 of them can make the playoffs. Am I weird on that? No, we kind of talked about this um, earlier. It may have been off pod. It might have been at the beginning of the last one. But um, I've said even, like, you could make a case for 14 teams. 13, I don't think that's unrealistic at all. And, I mean, so are the two teams that you're saying outside of the 13, is that the Blazers and the Jazz, I'm guessing? Yeah, I mean, really, I'm saying Blazers, Rockets, and Jazz because I didn't really know who was better, the Blazers or the Rockets. I think the Rockets are probably better, but I can also see a lot of that going south real yeah. quickly. And I can see that with the Blazers, too. Uh, the only team I think is right out is probably the Jazz because I don't think the Jazz want. Right. Like, I think the Jazz are looking at things and going, like, look, we've got all these assets. You know, they might make a big trade in the middle of the season or something if, like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't really want to talk about, you know, Carl Anthony Towns anymore, but I, I do feel like that guy, I feel like Pascal Siakam, uh, I feel like there's there's going to be guys that in the middle of the season, if teams aren't doing what they should be doing, um, you know, if the Wolves are not in playoff contention, for example, 
I feel like you're going to be able to get some good players for about 50 cents on the dollar. And I think the Jazz are going to be looking to buy on that. But I don't think they're going to be looking to win. Um, but, I mean, I was wrong about them last year, too. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. You know, Markinen's one of the 20 best players in the league all of a sudden. So, I don't know. I don't know what to do with them. Um, but, yeah, I, I really, you know, I, and, I, and I don't like the Mavs. I've got, I've got the Mavs ranked 12th just off of Luka, but, like, I just don't like them. I, I don't like that team. I don't. I, I, I don't trust Kyrie. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think Grant Williams is kind of washed. You know, I mean, I, I I know they're real excited about him, but I mean, he really couldn't break a break into the rotation on a playoff team in the Celtics. I mean, I think that was a Missoula problem because he when he came back, he played quality minutes. I don't think he's washed. He's first, like, definitely not old washed um i i think grant williams is fine i don't think he's the the south that's going to fix that team by any means uh, i have similar concerns but he he's okay okay well i mean that's i mean yeah i mean i hope so i like i mean i actually like grant williams i mean i, I think I, I like him as a as a player um and i think if he's uh winning i mean i think he he guards uh the uh Giannis as well as anybody does um, so yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's fine. Um, but no, so, you know, to me, the thunder are interesting. I, I agree with them being wild cards. Um, yeah, I, when, I'll, uh, interject just to make sure that if I don't mention this the rest of the time that I do here, um, one thing I like to do at the beginning of every season uh, and a couple of years ago, I predicted that the Portland Trailblazers would tank at the end of the season. And uh, I think I surprised some people with that, you included. And then they ended up doing it just based on the protections that they had on their first round pick. So I just go through and look, where is everybody in terms of first round picks? Uh, and that that sometimes tells you something. So like for one example, the Charlotte Hornets, their pick this upcoming year is lottery protected. So if anybody, for whatever reason, wanted the Hornets to get into the play-in and play their way into the playoffs, I just think that's a horrible pick because even if they were good enough to do that, that would be them actively deciding to lose their first-round pick this year. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, one that's incredibly interesting is the Mavericks did this last year. I want Their pick was either... Top 10 protected or top 12 protected, I believe. I don't remember which. But whichever one it was, they barely got to the right point to where they kept their pick. Uh, So this upcoming year, the Mavericks pick is top 10 protected. So I won't be shocked if they are firmly in the play-in like they were last year by the end of the year and decide, you know what, we're only three games away from being in the top eight in lottery odds or something, we'll just tank again. The only thing that worries me about that is I don't think Luke is going to like that, and that just locks in that he's probably going to demand a trade. But the Mavs are just in a horrible position. <coughs> Finally, that's one of the things about the Rockets is that their pick is only top four protected. So unless they get one of those top four picks, the Rockets are sending out their first-round pick, which that, that's a really dangerous game to be playing. So I don't expect the Rockets to be tanking whatsoever. So even if I thought the Jazz were better than the Rockets, the Rockets are almost guaranteed to be competing at the end of the year, just doing their best because they're really not incentivized to do poorly. So while I don't necessarily think the Rockets are going to make the play in, 
they're one of, I think, 13 or 14 teams who truly have the ability to. And there are a couple of teams that they might leapfrog if somebody like Dallas, somebody like Utah are actually trying to tank a little bit. So, yeah, to your point, so if we're doing that exercise right now, to me, there's only two teams that have an incentive to tank, and that's the Blazers and the Jazz. Um, the Blazers, because you can make an argument. I mean, the Blazers might, uh, the Blazers have a lot of really good pieces, uh, and the Blazers just might get out there and blow, you know, Shaden Sharp might take three steps, uh, three steps forward in his, uh, in his basketball journey, become a 25 and five guy. Scoot Henderson uh, might become one of the best point guard prospects we've ever seen. Uh, Robert Williams, uh, you know, Time Lord might be just uh, go back to dominant defense. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen on there. DeAndre Ayton, uh, I don't know if you saw, but he he said he wants to be known as uh, Dominating. Um, I'm just going to let that yeah. hang there for a second. I love that nickname. I just hate it for him because he doesn't live up to it. Yeah, I, I kind of think that nickname is hilarious. Uh, it's it's one of the funniest. Yeah, I, I think that's just hilarious. For but anyway, whatever. Uh, but I'm hey man, let, let's say he becomes a great player too. I mean, there's there. I can see the Blazers making the play, and I can see the Blazers making the playoffs. But like to me, the only two teams that have incentive that are going to be like, well, if it doesn't go bad for us, oh well, are the Blazers and Jazz. Every other team is kind of locked in right i mean like the rockets the rockets are young so i guess it wouldn't be horrible if they don't make it but to your point you know they if they don't make it they really really have to be in a position where they really don't make it so they can have a top four pick and if not they lose it the clippers are just i you know i mean i'm you know jj reddick was giving heck to zach Lowe on his podcast because he said he was out on the clippers i'm out on the clippers dude i mean I've, i've been out on clippers for a while the clippers are the team that like you know, I just kind of wish I was a, a bookie just taking bets on the Clippers all day long so I could just make all this money because I'm always proven right about them. They're not they're they they just they're they're just not there. And I mean, the team that the team around them just just isn't very deep. And, and then they're going to grab James Harden, which I think is hilarious. And so, like, I just I'm just not I'm just not here with the Clippers. Um, the Wolves have to be all in the Pelicans. I feel like got to be all in. Right. I mean. You know, if they're not all in, they need to start trading some of those pieces. Um, you know, the Grizz, uh, the Kings, they're all they've got to be all in, right? So I mean, like they they real there's not there's only you know the only teams have incentive in my opinion to tank are Blazers and Jazz. Um, so yeah, I I think I think that's a good a good exercise to do. Um, but um, in the Western conference, you know, it's just, it's just going to be a dog fight every single night, you know? And, uh, and so that, so to, to transition back, Chase, transition back to why, why I think we both like the thunder when it comes to being in a dog fight, they got a lot of dogs. I mean, they got a lot of people that they can throw at you that I am just a really big fan of. So like, when you look at, when you look at their top, so like their starting five projects to be Shay. Josh Giddy, Jayla Williams, probably Lou Dort, and uh, Chet Holmgren, okay? So that's your top five, which is a pretty darn good top five. Um, a top five of, I mean, one, two, like three of those guys we know are A defenders, and Chet Holmgren looks like an A defender. So there's not a whole lot of, play, not a whole lot of teams that can say that they can put that many great defenders out. 
Um, and then off the bench, like they just got so many players I like. You know, I mean, Kate. I, you, we've already talked. I've already talked about how much I love Case and Wallace. How how good of a player I think he's going to be. I really like Usman Jang. Like I really like him as a player. I feel like he's he's got he's got something to offer. Um, I really like uh, Keontae Johnson. I really like Isaiah Joe. I really like the other Jalen Williams. I like Trey Mann. Trey Mann's a really good player. So like you've got all these guys that are just like. Just you know, you know, like maybe not, maybe not stars, or maybe not guys that are going to make the highlights. But a lot of guys, you can just go out there and be like, okay, give me ten to fifteen good minutes. They've got the most of those players, in my opinion, uh, other than maybe the Lakers. Like the, those two teams, in my opinion, have the most players of just like go out and give me fifteen good minutes. You know, where we're not taking anything off the table. Um, that's what I really like about the Thunder. Uh, am I am I weird about that case? Is that just a weird take? Sorry about that. Yeah, no, not at all. I, I don't love their depth quite as much as you do uh, because I really think that that's the one place where I kind of hesitated was after I get past like seven, eight guys, I think they're major question marks, even if you like them, which is perfectly fine, of course. Uh, those are where I start to lose trust in these people. And even with that, I'm already saying I kind of trust Case and Wallace in between injury issues he had at Kentucky and then also just the fact of being a rookie. Uh, They're probably still a year too early if we're being realistic. But no, I mean, they absolutely do have plenty of guys that you can throw regular season minutes at. Um, and But the, the big thing to me is the starting five. I think that's a really quality starting five that's probably one of the best, like, four or five starting fives in the West. If I'm, I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. No, I think, I think that core is fantastic. And um, I don't know. I just feel like I, I, I feel like, yeah, that, that starting five is really good, but I also feel like, you know, they had a lot of injuries last year and they had a lot of guys that stepped in to positions that they weren't really ready to do. Kendrick Williams was playing some center last year. He's six mm-hmm. foot six. So I'm just saying, you know, they've got guys that, like I said, I, it, and they might not be flashy, but I do feel like they have people that can go out and give you good minutes. Um, and I think that's a really, that's a, that's kind of half the battle. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, so it, the other thing about them case is like, Shay took a big step last year. Um, I'm really high on SDA as far as like someone who can lead a team to a title. I'm really high on his ability to do that. The, um, the stuff he was doing last year, he seemed to perform better when he was uh, when when he was playing against other people uh, that were of his quality. You know, I mean, I, I watched him against the Lakers. He just, you know, that herky jerky game is perfect uh, for uh, against against teams that are really big on switching on pick and rolls. You know, which is every team. <laughs> so like, so he's he's almost he's almost built perfectly for this moment. His offensive game is built perfectly for this moment. The only thing he was missing last year was a lob threat. And hey, how about we give you a seven foot one guy who moves like a guard? How about we just do that? And to me, that is a that is such a if if, if Chet Holmgren is a 15, 8, and 3 guy and averages a block and a half a game, they are going to be so much better this year. 
And that's really kind of Kit's floor, right? I mean, like, that's kind of, like, I, I, unless he's just an injury-prone guy, but, like, this isn't like a Sean Bradley situation. You know, this this is a guy who who's, who is a who is a really good basketball player um, and and who's kind of, you know, I mean, he, he had a really good summer league. He had a really good preseason. Um, I'm just really intrigued to see what he adds to it. Also, Josh Giddy, who, you know, gets another Josh Giddy's one of the best passers in the league. I, I know you're you're not super familiar with him, Chase, but like you need to watch him, Josh Giddy, because he's gonna, he's gonna become one of your favorite players if you ever watch him. Because he's basically like he's got the YMCA game only taken to as far as you could possibly take it, which is just I know how to throw these bounce passes, I know how to throw these perfect chess passes, I know how to do all the little basketball things, and I do them better than anyone else. And like, if he takes their step, let's say he gets to thirty-eight percent from three, thirty-eight to forty percent from three-point land, all this stuff's in play. And I understand I'm using if a lot, but like this, these are all things like other players that are worse are naturally making these steps in their career. Those two guys are really, really good right now. If they make progression, if Shea and Josh getting make progression, if Jalen Williams is, you know, is a is a continues on his role as just this, you know, beast of a, you know, defender who can defend one through five and who can also, you know, cut to the basket bear and just about anybody. If he makes that, if he continues on his line of progression, if all these guys do what they're supposed to do, I think they're going to be a really dangerous team. I think a lot of, they're not going to sneak up on anybody, but I don't know if they have to because they got a lot of scary players. And what I will say, Chase, is I said the same thing about the Pelicans last year, and the Pelicans did that, and then they all got injured. And so, like, if the, the, to me, the question for this team, and it's a question for all teams, really, but, like, is this team going to be able to manage minutes and things like that in order to keep these guys from being injured? Because they got lucky in the fact that Shea and, and Giddy and Jalen Williams didn't have really any injuries last year. Um, but they didn't get lucky in the fact that all of their big men went out to the point that Poku was playing center for him at one point. I have nothing against Poku. I really like Poku. I was going to talk about how I feel like Poku could take a leap, but I thought you'd laugh at me. But, like, you know, that puts you in a bad position when you all of a sudden just don't have any any depth inside at all. So are they going to are they going to be able to manage that, or are they look, or is it going to be a Pelican situation where we put all this – thought behind them we say okay you know they've got all these young players they've got all these pieces you know they all make sense together and then you just watch as like they just crumble because they're fragile that to me is the question um i'll let you have the last word on them chase yeah no i i agree with most everything you said there i've been on record saying i must just be the most unfortunate josh giddy viewer ever because while i haven't seen a ton of them i've seen multiple games uh, of the thunders and while I've seen SGA go off, I've seen Jalen Williams look really good. I've seen Lou Dort go off. I just haven't seen stuff from Giddy when I'm actively watching that got me impressed. But I know a lot of people, um, as smart or smarter than me, really are high on him. I've seen some of the highlights. So if he can start to put that together on a more consistent basis, I think he's definitely one of the biggest uh, like fulcrums for that team this year if he can give them like really quality starter minutes, because to me, if Chet Holmgren's what a lot of people want him to be, and I know he's a second year rookie, so that's still not very fair to assume 
that just like I said with Casey Wallace, like you might be putting too much on his shoulders this year, but if he's as good as a lot of people think he might even be this year as a rookie, I kind of think that Giddy, if they have a weak link in the starting rotation, it's him because I love SGA. Uh, Everybody loves Jalen Williams from what he did last year. Uh, Everybody seems to be high on Holmgren. And then I really, I trust Dort. He maybe takes some shots in situations that he shouldn't. He's, he's not as bad as Dylan Brooks, but he might be like, uh, 50% 50% in that direction where you want to kind of rein him back. But I really like what he provides. I mean, um, as much as people crap on Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks is a fantastic defender. And I think Lou Dort is a better offensive player than him. So like, I still really like Dort for what he brings to that team. So if Giddy can be reliable for them, I think they're in a great position. Uh, as to what you said as well, like they do have a whole bunch of guys that you can throw on the floor. And they seem to, I, I mean, even guys that you wouldn't expect to, like Olivier Saar, who had a little bit of a stint at Kentucky at one point. Uh, he was okay, but he really wasn't a great college player. He had decent minutes for them last year. They have him on a two-way contract. So, uh, I mean, they were able to get squeeze as much as they could out of some of those guys when they had to put them on the floor. So, I think in the regular season, no, they're not going to sneak up on anybody. But in the West, is anybody going to sneak up on anybody? I mean, you have to be playing your A game every night. That's how the Thunder made the playoffs uh, when they had Chris Paul. Is I think they were sneaking up on people. That, that It's just a different Western Conference this year, unless everybody's wrong about it. It looks to be that way. But <coughs> as I kind of just go through four or five things that you think every championship team needs in today's game of basketball... They have most of them. I mean, you, they, you pretty much have to have a top 10 player, and uh, Shea's right around there. You pretty much have to have a top 10 offense, which I think they're capable of doing. Uh, you have to have a top 10 defense, which we've talked about. The defensive upside of this team is almost through the roof. Uh, and then you probably have to have good shooting and good passing. They definitely have the passing. The shooting's a little bit of a question mark because I don't think Jalen Williams is, like, mega consistent. Uh, you don't have, like... Um, Giddy's not mega consistent. Chet can make him, but he's not going to be that big of a threat. SGA can make him, but he loves taking twos instead of threes. They're really not that big of a three-point shooting team. Uh, so, like That's one place where I'm a little bit nervous about them. But they have so many other things. They check so many boxes. I really feel like they're a lock to make the play-in, if not the playoffs. So, I mean, I like them. And then they're a team that nobody's going to want to face. I mean, even if you have... Um, Denver, like last year, a lot of people said if the Thunder had made it into the playoffs as the eighth seed and they had to face Denver, they were going to get just destroyed because they were going to get out-rebounded like crazy, which is probably true because Jokic is a million times better rebounder than anybody they had on the team last year. But maybe Chet can kind of fill in some of those gaps. That's one of those things that they were just so sorely missing, as you mentioned. Not just a rim runner and a lop catcher, but just somebody who can protect the rim and rebound as well. So, again, it's a lot to be putting on their shoulders with most of them being so young. Uh, but th- they've got a lot of stuff that they can put together. So, th- And that's why I like them as the wild card rather than like my fourth best contender is because I think they have a, a range of outcomes that varies between they could make the play in and just barely miss out or they could honestly make a run to the conference finals if things break their way. Yeah, I, I've got them uh, right now as the fifth seed. Um, I think uh, I think that's pretty safe for them. Um, and and I'll say this: if they if they win fifty games, 
I'll go and lay this out as my pick. Uh, Mark Mark Danielt uh, is going to be co- uh, coach of the year this year. Um, he's done a good job with him already. I think he's got a really really good basketball mind. Um, he's he thinks outside the box and he knows how to weaponize his players, which I think is what separates good coaches from okay coaches. And uh, so uh, yeah, I I think uh, I, I I think they're a good team. I think. Uh, you know, I, I I think uh, I think I'm in on them. I think I'm really really high on them, and I think uh, you know if 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 things break for them, I think it could be really scary this year. Um, but I do think they're probably probably a year away from being championship contenders. Um, but then you know that's a pretty good place to be in. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the Suns, uh, and then we'll talk about the three we have in common. Uh, and then we'll we'll say my wild card for last. Um, the Suns. So, you know, me and you have differing opinions on the Suns. I think um, I think you're higher on them than I am. Here's what I will say. One thing we didn't bring up with the Suns when we talked about them in the first podcast. I must say I must say an, a very big upgrade they made. Uh, Frank Vogel's a heck of a coach, and he got really messed over in in LA. Um, I really like Darvin Ham. I think Darvin Ham's a great coach too, but, uh, he was a really good coach, uh, for the Lakers. Um, and he was one of the few, there's only been two coaches that have ever looked at LeBron and said, you are, uh, you're really good. Let's find a way to put you in sets that make you really good and not just have you pick and roll and ISO and be at the top of the key all the time. Um, he's one of the few coaches that have done that. Um, so I'm very intrigued to see what he does with the Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Bill dynamic. Um, but other than that, I'm not real high on the Suns, uh, Chase. Uh, you know, I've, I've got their, you know, I mean, you know, uh, just, just, you know, go on and go on and give me a little bit about uh, their, their four through 10 players for me, Chase. Well, I already did that part a little bit in the last podcast. So if you missed that, go hear what I have to say well, about. We didn't talk about Nasir though. I I said his name. We, <laughs> I didn't say a whole lot about him, but I did. When I was listing all those guys that could play some minutes with him, I said Nasir Little's one of them. I think he's going to get some playing time. Okay. I just don't right. know how good he's going to be. But no, uh, I mean, I, I like your point about the coaching. I definitely think that they got an improvement there. If Like, Monty Williams is a nice coach. I think he's good. Uh, it's very strange for him to be going to the Pistons, right? So, like, they, it seemed like they just offered him more and more and more money until he finally said, okay, fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a potential upgrade. It's been, I think it's kind of a weird fit because, again, he's kind of known to me as, like, a defensive coach. And they've got... I mean, not that their three stars are horrendously bad defensive players. Beal's kind of been bad lately, but uh, I'll give him a little bit of an excuse of he really, I mean, he was having to score 30 points a game. He had to do so much on offense, and then they were just bad. So why be that motivated to play defense on a a 28-win team or whatever they were? Maybe they were 30, but uh, whichever. I think Beal's adequate defensive days are not behind him and he could return to that bookers uh not like a mega mega plus defender but i think he's a plus defender at the guard position and then durant can be absolutely quite a force we talked about him what he did with the nets defense last year i'm sure it was exhausting but they have some defensive potential but those are 
all players that I certainly think of as offense first players. So I wonder, I hope that he can get, if I'm trying to make the case for the Suns, the most out of their role players and their defense, which is something that he, of course, needs to focus on. But then my other thing is, again, this team, uh, some people are trying to make the case that it was the Timberwolves last year, but this team probably gave Denver their best fight in the playoffs. I don't overlook the Lakers. I, I think it's kind of trite to say, but I believe that that was a competitive sweep. That was just an awesome series by the Nuggets. I mean, the Lakers weren't just steamrolled over. The, the Nuggets were just better. But the Suns were the only team that took more than a game off of them. And yes, I mentioned, like, it took unfathomably good performances from Booker and Durant. But still, like, we know that those two players are capable of performances like that. You add Bradley Beal, who's another guy who, like, on any given night, he could get hot, drop 38, and keep you in a fourth quarter that you had no business otherwise being in. So uh, I think this team is incredibly volatile. They're incredibly risky from an injury perspective because they, they are just done, period, if somebody gets injured. Um, but then we haven't really talked about some of the – we've talked about – their depth issues. We haven't specifically addressed why that is. And one of those things is that they got rid of a lot of players that played key minutes for them. Two of those being Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. And the Ayton one in particular, uh, I wonder if this goes under the radar. I could be totally wrong, but I don't think as many people remember Ayton didn't play game six at all last year when they got just blown out by the Nuggets. Uh, that game... Uh, we saw the two games that were at Phoenix. Um, those were the two where Booker and Durant went off. Those are also, coincidentally, the only other two times that Aiton played less than 30 minutes. So the, the two wins that they had were Aiton's two least played games. And then he just literally did not show up for game six. Uh, and there was a lot of speculation. Was he actually injured? Was that just a coaching and a chemistry thing? Did he literally give up on the team and just say, I'm not playing anymore? Uh, so, I mean, I don't think... Yusuf Nurkic, especially at this point in his career, is a talent upgrade by any means over Aiton, but he might just be a chemistry upgrade, a fit upgrade, and somebody that if he's healthy come playoff time, he's at least going to be trying to do the things that they need him to do, and that might open up some way a little bit more for Durant and Booker. So uh, it's not that I think this team is a sure thing by any means, but I do think that their upside on this team is just really hard to uh, argue with. So if I have to pick a team that on their best night can beat any team in the West, the Suns have to be up there for me. Uh, I'll say, I'll say some nice things about the Suns depth real quick. Um, the players they've gotten make sense with the three big stars they have. So Nurkic makes a lot of sense um, on a team that's going to rely on, a lot of mid-range. I mean, this this team could shoot the most mid-range <laughs> shots ever um, because uh, Bradley Bill, his last two years, I looked him up as a three-point shooter, were at 300% and then 360% last year, uh, both of them on, on, you know, five attempts a game. So he's not really he's, – he's not, he's not the sniper he used to be, um, but he's going he's, he's gonna to play a lot and be looking for those mid-range shots like Durant and like Devin Booker do. So the type of center you'd want for that would be a guy who's really good close to the basket and who can shoot a three, and that's Nurkic. <laughs> so I mean, that's what he is. So 
I think he makes a lot of sense for this team. I think Akogi makes a lot of sense for this team uh, as a guy uh, who's going to get a lot of wide open shots uh, in three point land. Um, I think he needs to be just every day putting up a hundred three point shots at least, and just being prepared for the fact he's going to be on an Island a lot of times. There's going to be a lot of empty space for him to stand and shoot threes on. Um, and if he can make those, he can really carve himself out a really uh, nice place. Uh, Danny Green did that three straight years for San Antonio and made millions of dollars doing that. So he could he could pull that off. Um, you know, uh, Eric Gordon's fine. Uh, Nasir Little's fine. Yuta Watanabe had some fun moments last year. I think a lot of this team is is really, you know, uh, I'm not going to say nice things about Grayson Island ever. Uh, that guy shouldn't even be in the league, in my opinion. Um, but, um, I, you know, I think this team has, you know, their, their depth issues might be a little overstated. Um, but to your point, if someone gets injured, what happens? Because the thing is with this, with this team about injuries, um, Devin Booker had his first big injury. Well, really a second big injury last year. Um, Durant has been injury prone the past three years. Bradley Bill has been has played 90 games the last two years. So if someone gets injured, what ends up happening is the other two people have taken on a bigger role, have to play more minutes, which leads to more injuries. So there's a domino effect in that could happen with the Suns. And I just I don't know if I trust that. Now, here's the thing to say about the Suns, though, of course, is this is another one of those situations where we're talking about the home court advantage thing. The Suns don't care where they're, you know, where, where they're seated at. As long as they're in the top eight, they think they got a shot um, because they've got Kevin Durant, one of the 15 best players ever. They've got Devin Booker, one of the 10 best players in the NBA. And they got Bradley Bill, you know, he's probably one of the 30 best players in the NBA. They feel like if they've got those three healthy, they can beat any team in the league. They might be right. They might be wrong. Um, I just feel like if I was them, I would want some rim, prote- some rim protection, and I'd want a 3 and D guy, someone that is a proven 3 and D guy. Um, and I just, I don't, I wonder if there's, they're really in the trade for them to make. They don't, I don't think they've got any, like, <laughs> I, I don't know, how, I don't know what their draft pick situation looks like. I don't think it's good, because um, I feel like, I, I feel like the Nets got a lot of it, and I feel like, you know, the Wizards got some of it. So I don't know about that. Um, but I do wonder, um, I do wonder what a guy like Dort would look on the scene. We just talked about him, you know, like someone like that, you know, who could really go out and guard the best player on the other team. Cause I really don't know who does that on this, you know? And, and then I've, we've already stated it, Chase, they didn't solve the Jokic problem. They didn't solve it. So like, I don't, like the team, the, the the team's weird to me. I think you use the term volatile. I think that's a good term, and uh, and I, I that's kind of how I view them. I view them as a volatile team. I've got them as third in the West, um, but I don't really think I, I I don't see them making a deep playoff run. Yeah, I, I think that's perfectly fine. I almost think it's potentially the inverse of it. Like I don't know exactly where they're going to finish in the West. It's going to be so competitive, and, I mean, you just know these guys aren't all going to play. I mean, even if they all play 65 games, that's 51 total missed between Beal, 
Booker and Durant. So they're going to have to make up for those somewhere. The West is going to be a really ragged road for everybody. So they might end up the fifth seed or the sixth seed or something like that. I think it it could easily be matchup dependent for them. And the other tough thing with them is like they are going to have to make sure that they are healthy for two consecutive months because, again, there are other teams that can withstand injuries to their second or third best players over small stretches. And I just really struggle to see that being the case with them. I'm just going pure upside and kind of like I did with the East. If you tell me the two favorites for me in the Nuggets and the Lakers, if somehow they are not the ones that end up making the finals, how? Explain that to me. And I think Booker, Beal, and Durant just went nuclear and beat one or both of those teams in a seven-game series is one of the most likely explanations of how neither of those teams make the finals. I think that's that's a fair statement. That's fair. Um, I just don't I, – I, so so this is a good segue because I do feel like that's a little, little disrespectful to the Warriors. <laughs> I feel like it's a little disrespectful to them, to a team that's uh, battle-tested um, and to a team that um, – seems to have solved its biggest problem last year, or maybe, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, shouldn't have the the specter of the punk hanging over them again. Um, so let's talk about the Warriors, Chase. So, like, you, you're you pretty set on Lakers and Denver making it out of the West. I, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. But talk about the what, what would the road for the Warriors look like to the finals? So, in a way... Um... It's not quite the same thing, but the Warriors in the West are my Miami Heat in the East. I have them there first and foremost because I trust them more than anybody else around them. I've seen them do it before. I've seen these specific players do it before. Uh, But, I mean, they are just, in a way, getting kind of old. And (laughs) speaking of old, one of their biggest additions was getting rid of Jordan Poole and bringing in Chris Paul, uh, who was going into, I believe, his 19th season in the NBA He and LeBron are, I think, the two oldest in the NBA now at this point. Uh, So, I mean, there are some nice things for them. You missed a lot of Andrew Wiggins last year, and he's going to be able to, hopefully, they're thinking, end up playing a lot more minutes uh, and a lot more games than he did last year. So that's one of their things. Um, You actually got a lot of healthy Draymond last year, which surprised me when I was kind of looking over their stats is how much Draymond actually played. Uh, But then I I have my concerns about them. So, again, my main thing is I just know this team is capable of this. Uh, I trust them and Steve Kerr more than most of the other people behind them. I have them a little bit behind uh, the Suns just because of the Suns' upside. But I still have them as, like, that second tier of contention. I have all the – I have – Certainly a bunch of respect for Clay Thompson, but I fear, like, I've seen him the last few years. I'm scared of him as I used to be. Um, Kaminga is a fun guy to anything on that team, and I wonder the, they kind of gave up on most of their young players except for him, so they're going to let him try for sure to uh, carve out a big role for himself. But then just looking at some of their other things, I like Kevon Looney. It's a lot of age. So an injury is going to be a thing that comes in there, too. Steph, the last several years, hasn't been a pinnacle of health. So I think they have their question marks like literally every team does. But, um, again, it's kind of an upside case for me and a trust thing. Of I know that 
if they get to the playoffs healthy, which still feels like a pretty big if to me, they're going to be competitive competitive against anybody. But one of the things that I've really helped uh, or I really allowed to sway me was that series against the Lakers last year. I, I don't think the Warriors got appreciably better. I do think the Lakers got appreciably better. So I just think there's still a step behind those top two or three teams in the West, certainly Denver and L.A., in my opinion, just for those reasons that I've mentioned. They're kind of right there with the Suns for me. So they're in that next ring. Um, so they had a lot of injury issues last year. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about some of the stuff they're, they're bringing back, uh, you know, Gary Payton, too, um, and, of course, Andrew Wiggins. Um, even, I think Looney even missed some, some time last year too. Um, they brought in, uh, you know, they've got guys like Corey jo- Joseph, Dario Saric. I mean, here's the thing about the, the Warriors and this is why they scare me. And I've also got a stat for you here in a second. Here's the thing about the Warriors that scare me is that they're kind of, they're the new Spurs in a lot of ways in that when they grab somebody like a Corey Joseph, you're like, Hmm, what, what did the, what, what, where do they see there? Cause it's always like they're seeing things two or three steps of steps ahead. Um, you know, they were clearly off on Wiseman, but they shouldn't have drafted Wiseman to begin with cause they didn't need him. Um, you know, and of course everybody was off in 2020. Uh, it was a weird year, but this team to me, mm-hmm is the team that kind of scares scares me the most as a Laker fan because I understand the Lakers like straight up just, you know, really dominated that series. And I understand there were moments where it just looked like Anthony Davis was a man among boys on offense and defense. But this is a team I think has something to prove. And what's interesting is you talk about like, you know, trading out their young guy, Jordan Poole, to grab Chris Paul. Fair. That's a, that's a move you make if you're if you're wanting to win this year. And I am very scared. <laughs> and I don't think we're quite ready for Chris the Chris Paul-Steph Curry backcourt, which could end up being – there's a good chance Steph Curry at age 35 or 34, how old he is. I think it is 35 could end up having one of his best, most efficient scoring years ever because he's going to be receiving passes from one of the 10 best passers in league history. And whatever you say about Paul losing a step, you know, he has definitely obviously lost a step and he's definitely not the player he used to be. And I'm not saying he's going to play 30 minutes a game, but he's still a fantastic passer. Still knows how to run an offense. They scare me, Chase. And then the last thing I'll say is this, okay? Hey, I want you to take a guess. You already know it's on this team. Who scored the most points in preseason? By a large margin, by the way, by like 20 points. Who do you, Who is it? Do you know? I actually think I heard that there are two players who averaged an obscene number of points, and one of them was Jonathan Kaminga. That's correct. Jonathan Kaminga scored the most points in preseason. And, like, the thing with Kaminga that was interesting is that it's – it's never been about his ability, um, which is one of the reasons why there were a lot of teams that were kind of like, 
you know, kind of vulturing around this team, trying to get Kaminga for you know, little to nothing. Because the problem with playing when the, with the Warriors, the same problem playing with the Spurs, is you need a high basketball IQ to do it. And the thing with Kaminga, it's never been ability. It's been, you know, understanding how to play within the system. It looks like he's figured it out. Now, of course, once again, don't get too excited about preseason. But if Kaminga's a real player and Chris Paul's good, you know, and like everyone just else just kind of stays the same. Mm-hmm. That's a scary team. That's a scary. That's a scary team, man. And uh, and I, I don't know. I'm not ready to count them out yet. I'm not ready to to say they're they're done. Um, but you know, uh, they're to to the same same thing with the Suns. They're volatile. You know, Steph Curry gets injured. I don't know what this team becomes. You know, um, you know, Draymond Green gets injured. I don't know what this team becomes. Yeah, so on the Warriors, I will say it seemed like one of the mistakes that they did was in the last few years, the Warriors, that is, it was going in a little bit too much on that youth movement. Like James Wiseman just made such little sense with that team. But I think they might have a nice little uh, happy medium, if you will, with this. Uh, they're, they're pretty much an ancient old team. And then they've got Kaminga in there. And I think just having that one guy might be the right balance for them. Because there were a few times last year, including one game where the Celtics played them. And I haven't seen Jonathan Kaminga look that good very often. But there was one game where he just had more energy than everybody on the court, either team, Celtics or Warriors. And they were able, he was just making cuts, he was getting in transition, and doing things that they otherwise weren't really doing so much. So I think in some ways, especially the regular season, but maybe the playoffs too, he can just kind of enliven them with a little bit of youth, make them a little bit better in that one aspect. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I do trust this team. I think they're really good. Um, I've said what issues that I have with them, what concerns that I have. I'm just not sure how long they can keep it together. But they absolutely have eight players that I trust. I think they're really good. I think they're just a tier behind these other teams in the West. But... Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not going to be excited for any team playing the Warriors in the postseason. We'll see. I mean, if they get to the playoffs healthy, they're going to be probably pushing on that first tier of contenders, if not firmly in it. Yeah, I um, I I totally agree. Um, I I, I think they've got some real issues, but I don't know, man. I just don't... uh... I don't uh, discount Steph Curry anymore, and I think he's uh, think he's that good. I think he's he's got maybe one, two really good years left in him. And um, I don't know. I, I just I, I like the team, like what they did, but I, I do think it's going to come down to staying healthy and stuff like that. Uh, let's talk about the Nuggets before we get to the Lakers. Uh, the Nuggets, by the way, as of this recording, are currently beating my Lakers by eleven points. Uh, in the first quarter, that's never a good sign. But uh, uh, particularly the concern, I'm about to be very laudatory about the Lakers. But uh, let's be laudatory about the Nuggets. Nuggets, man, they were, you know, at the beginning of the playoffs, I think I told you, I thought they were probably the, the team to beat. Uh, they really went into the playoffs very strong. Jokic is pretty much a clear-cut best player in the world at this point. Um, what would scare me, if I was rooting against the Nuggets, is the fact that Jokic, as good as he is, is fantastic. But it seems to me like both Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. have another step to take. Am I weird for thinking that case? 
Well, I think, um, again, like I've said with a lot of players, with Jamal Murray, the step is just consistency because we've seen him. I mean, it's just absurd that he's never made an all-star team because of what we've seen him do at the playoffs. Like, he's not only been an all-star in the playoffs. We've seen him, like, it's not outlandish to say he's a top 15 or 20 player in the NBA. So for him to have never made an all-star game, it's a combination of just, like, bad luck year-to-year, injury luck, and stuff like that, because he's been outstanding. So uh, I don't know if Murray has another step to take unless it's just, like, showing us that he can do that on a little bit more of a consistent basis. But, yeah, I mean, Michael Porter Jr., he is really secondary, if not just, like, an afterthought in that offense sometimes. I mean, when you have an awesome Michael Porter Jr. game, it's really hard to overcome because the rest of the Nuggets are a little bit, um, I was going to say a little bit more consistent as a whole, definitely. I mean, you know what you're getting from Jokic. You know what you're getting from Aaron Gordon. In the playoffs, you know what you're getting from Jamal Murray. Uh, you really get a wild card from Michael Porter Jr. I'm trying to remember, this was two or three years ago. I watched Michael Porter Jr. hit like six or seven threes in the first quarter of the game in the playoffs. And then I think he scored like, three, four, five more points the rest of the game. It was really strange. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you see from MPJ. And so I I do think there is room for him to elevate, but also one of my causes for concerns with them is I wonder, like, if you kind of shine the spotlight a little bit more on him, people have talked about, like, um, I don't want to downplay their road to the finals last year. It was a little bit easier than some other paths that you might take. Like, you got the Timberwolves, you had an eight seed. They were, you know, a feisty eight seed, but you know they're going to win that game. You got a matchup against the Suns that weren't 100% healthy. They had just put that team together, really, at the end of that season. So it wasn't that surprising that they took out the Suns, and then everybody had them beating the Lakers because most people didn't have the Lakers in the conference finals. And then you have them go up against the Heat in the finals, and there have only been a couple, maybe, of NBA Finals where I was more confident before the Finals started who the victor was going to be. I mean, as tough as the Heat were to get to the Finals, I just knew the Nuggets were going to destroy them, and they did. Um, If they're tested, especially by a team that can, like, really, really go five out or or just a really strong four out, I I wonder, because I don't think the Nuggets got as tested as they could be. I think they're going to get a lot more tested this year in the playoffs unless we get some more bad injury luck. Um, you could attack somebody like Michael Porter Jr. I heard a quote from their front office that said that's why they got rid of Bones Island, is they can't have two zeros on defense. So they were considering MBJ a zero on defense, and then he's an inconsistent offensive player. Some days he's great. He's a really, really talented shooter, um, but you just don't always know what you're going to get from him. So that's one of the things. Yeah, there's absolutely a leap, but if he doesn't take the leap, I'm a little bit worried about them. So, you know, they've got a lot of <laughs> – they're relying on a lot because they lost uh, Bruce Brown and – who else did they lose? They lost someone else, right, Chase? Yeah, so Bruce Brown's the big one. They lost Jeff Green, who was kind of That's their right, man. Yeah. But I, I'm not all that concerned about replacing Jeff Green. He was a serviceable guy who can play playoff minutes, and I don't want to overlook the value of that. But I think that's a reasonably replaceable bit. It's Bruce Brown that really concerns me. So yeah, losing Bruce Brown is a big deal. I think losing I think losing a serviceable eight man is a big deal too. But um, because if particularly if you don't have somebody that can step up in that position, what's interesting is they've got 
three young, well, four technically. So Christian Brown is is supposed to step into the Bruce Brown role, um, which I mean, he was really good last year. Had some really good playoff moments. Uh, I I am very confident in his ability to do that. What's interesting though is they have Julian Strother and Hunter Tyson, who they basically drafted back to back. One was twenty ninth pick. I think the other was thirty third pick, maybe. Uh, Strother from Gonzaga, Tyson from Clemson, both very ready to play type players, um, who both really dropped to where they were because they were considered really too old, which is hilarious because Strother was a junior last year, uh, and you know Tyson I think was was a senior, but like, but just kind of like guys, it's really you know there's a real big youth movement in in that they don't like people. Most most teams don't like players that have stuck in that have been stuck in the college mindset for four years. They want somebody who they can you know make everyone unlearn that and then bring them in and uh, uh, you know and then and then make everyone uh, or relearn how to play in the NBA because it's such a different game. So, um, but they've got like and I'm just gonna throw these yeah Julian Strother, Hunter Tyson, but I want to throw their name at you. I'm really intrigued by Chase is Peyton Watson, who was their pick last year. Um, he was he had a really interesting summer league. Um, he didn't get a, he he was he was getting a lot of minutes early and they kind of pulled him, I thought, because they kind of thought like he was pro- I, I thought they thought that, you know, maybe they were like, okay, this guy's actually gonna be a real rotation guy for us. So, you know, we need to save him, so to speak. But he had a really interesting uh preseason. He's one of those guys that just kind of like does all the things he's he's real rangy can get around uh real athletic real rangy makes all the right cuts um he's not i don't think he's quite there as a shooter yet but if that guy is you know if if any of those three guys can step into the rotation denver's gonna might be more dangerous than they were last year just because now all of a sudden you've just got legs you know and one of the things that like scares me about denver this year that you heard Mike Malone talk about is it's really hard to repeat, particularly when all your players are tired, <laughs> you know, because like when you, when you play into the finals, I think people kind of underestimate the fact that not only is it an A2 game season, but within the finals, you have the potential to play another 24, excuse me, 28 games. So you add all those games up and all of a sudden, you know, you have a situation where, you know, maybe Kevin Garnett hurts his knee in 2009 because he played 150 games in two years or something like that, you know. Or maybe Kobe Bryant gets to the finals in 2010 and gets the game seven and all of a sudden his shot's flat. These are the kind of things that really affect teams. And it's been affecting teams for a while, and I don't think people really, really look at that like they should. And so with a team that is has so many players that are based around athleticism, like Aaron Gordon. I would say Jamal Murray's kind of like that. I think Ken, uh, KCP is is a guy who, if his motor's not there, he's really not the same player. Michael Porter, uh, Michael Porter Jr. is kind of like that. And so, when you, my question for the Nuggets is, when we get to February, March, when we move into the playoffs this year, you know how how healthy is this team going to be? How beat up are they going to be? And will these three guys um, have the ability to step in and play key minutes for them? Because if not, this is a very thin team. And Jokic is a fantastic player, but it starts to look like what the Bucks have looked like for the past couple of years, which is basically, you know, Jokic, 
uh, Jamal Murray, and then really everybody else. And if that's what it becomes, that's going to be a hard repeat for them. So I'm a little, I'm a little bullish on their repeat, uh, repeat uh, possibilities here. I'm, I'm, I'm not totally sure that they have the ability to do, to do, uh, to pull off a repeat, um, which of course is difficult to do in any sport, but I think it's really hard to do in the NBA. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's not an easy thing to do. I think they're totally capable of it. But of course, if you give me nuggets of the field, I'm taking the field. That's for sure. Uh, And then uh, again, agreed with you're going to need some health. We're going to see how healthy they get by the end of the season. I'll go ahead and knock on wood for them because I don't want anything bad to happen to that team. I feel like Jokic has been fairly healthy for the most part, but we know Jamal Murray just missed over an entire season with that ACL tear. And really, I mean, one of the big reasons he didn't make an all-star team last year was because he was rehabbing from that ACL still. Um, So we hope he's healthy this season and can make his first all-star team and all of that. Um, And then additionally, somebody that I I didn't even mention this when I was talking about him, Michael Porter Jr. uh, It was kind of fortunate that he played 62 games last year and was healthy for the playoffs for them because he's, Definitely somebody that coming into the season, I think everybody was terrified of whether or not he was going to play. This is a player who missed a lot of his college career because of a back injury, missed his entire rookie season due to a back injury, and fell to the 14th pick because of that. He would have gone much higher. Like He would have been top five, top three, maybe in contention for the number one pick if it wasn't for these back issues. And then he plays 55 games as a a second-year rookie, plays 61, and then he only plays nine games in 21-22. And that was literally, of course, the year before last. So coming off of that, you get 62 games and a healthy playoffs with him. Um, You hope that he's over those back issues, but, man, a back is a fickle thing. Once that starts to mess with you, I, I I don't think they're out of the woods on that by any means. So, um, I mean, we literally said this with the last two teams, so it's not like this is something that they're dealing with and nobody else is, but health is going to be super important for them. I think once we enter the playoffs, we can kind of collect ourselves and look at, all right, what are these teams? What's the level of health? Who's missing whom? Uh, And now we can kind of evaluate who we think the favorites are. But that being said, going into the season, even with a rest disadvantage that way, I think this team's going to be really, really good because of how good Jokic is, how good Murray is. Um, and then I, I love Aaron Gordon. I think he's kind of their Derek White. He's bigger than Derek White, of course, but he does so many things that um, I'm glad to see people praise him. So it's not that he goes totally uncredited, but he still probably doesn't get enough praise for all the stuff that he does on a basketball court. If I'm making the negative case, he's still a little bit of a liability on offense. That's one of the things, too, is I think while they're incredibly tough to defend because of how good everybody is, that's something that you can kind of tinker with on defense is where can we just ignore Aaron Gordon? we got to make sure he doesn't run to the rim and get something easy because he's a high-motor guy. He's somebody who can finish lobs. But as long as we don't let that happen, we can kind of leave him alone. He's not going to shoot us to death. Uh, They're good. And then last thing I'll say, and then I'll let you finish up if you have more on him. I totally expect Christian Brown to take a step up. But I just still wonder, I don't think that even if he takes a step up, he's likely to get to where Bruce Brown was last year. So if he is filling in the Bruce Brown role, I think they're still at a slight negative, a net negative there. 
that the Bruce Brown role is getting worse. And that also means somebody has to fill in, like we said, the Jeff Green role. What's that going to be? And then someone has to fill in the old Christian Brown role. And I don't know if somebody can be as good as Christian Brown was, Um, especially when you're looking at they've got four rookies on the team. Two or three of them seem reasonably likely to get some run in the regular season and see what they have. Uh, The Nuggets are up 18 on the Lakers right now. So there's that. Um, so as we're as we're wondering about them, um, they are just dismantling the consensus number two team in the West for a lot of people. Um, so you know, just just throwing that out there, just throwing that out there. You know, they are they're doing their thing, uh, whether we want them to or not. Uh, so you know, um, I, the last question I have for you, Chase, uh, is Jokic your MVP? Jokic is my MVP, yes. I said um, on the last podcast, the first podcast we did, that I think it's really just three or four people that I can really consider for that award. You can throw other names in there, but when you look at some of the criteria people have to meet, I really think it's just about four people. Um, So Jason Tatum was yours. He's kind of my runner-up in this. I think you could say Stephen Curry. He's one up there. Um, Again, age, the games restrictions, stuff like that. Um, He maybe well, he's definitely focused more on the playoffs than the regular season. So of course he's going to have to play well enough in the regular season to get them to the playoffs. But uh, I, he's definitely not focused on the MVP this year. And I, I wonder if that's going to, I mean, he, I'm not going to count Steph out. He's probably my fourth most likely. Um, and then my third most likely is Giannis. I, I kind of think there's going to be some give and take. I think Dame's going to be awesome in Milwaukee. And Dame's probably going to, if I'm guessing, score more points than Giannis. I could be totally wrong there. But my gut instinct is that Giannis is going to be the second highest scorer on his own team. Dame might take some of the flash away or maybe even some MVP votes away from him. So then I narrowed it down to Tatum and Jokic. And I I mean, I just trust Jokic so much. A, I think there's a a possibility that people are going to reward him um, in the counter of them punishing him for not really having postseason success this year because he or this past year uh, probably could have won the MVP. And I think the conversation was just even if he had a better season than Joel Embiid, are we really going to give this guy who has only made one conference finals before and it was in the bubble and maybe some people think it's fluky and otherwise he's never really had postseason success. Are we really going to give this guy three consecutive MVPs? And then kind of like Giannis did when he won back-to-back MVPs and then didn't win a third, went out there and won a title and showed everybody that the first two were rightful, that he deserved to get those two MVPs. So if he has another season like the last three, which I think with, with health included is really likely. I mean, Jokic is like the most effortless 22-8-8 and player I think I've ever seen. Uh, it's just incredible how he barely has to do anything to do that. And then when he's actually really in tune and having a great game, he might be 30, 15, and 12. Um, And, of course, he's had better games than that, of course, too. Like, he can just put up ridiculous numbers. Jason Tatum's a little bit more up and down. I really hope that he has an awesomely consistent year. But I think between the narrative of he just got them over the hump and got a title and the fact that I do assume he's just going to be fantastic statistically and they might end up with the one seat again, Jokic is my MVP uh, just based off of that. I think there's a good chance that he's my bet. 
Yeah, I uh, so I, I'll uh, this is a good time to talk about MVP. Um, so for me, I, I I think I mentioned it last time. Uh, the MVP to me is always voted on by narrative. Um, who controls the narrative? The narrative last year was yeah, sure Jokic, you know, but you're right, he didn't. He hasn't won the title yet. <clears throat> the one of the reasons that I, so I, Tatum's my one, Jokic is my two. Um, and it doesn't really have anything to do if I think Jokic is that much better than Tatum or Tatum's that much better than Jokic or either way. Uh, it's really about this season. And the narrative of the, one of the narratives of the season is going to be, oh, we screwed up by giving it to Embiid last year. And v- the voters do this a lot where they vote with, they'll do apology votes. So, this is very hard for me to say, but the reason Kobe wins in 2008 is because of apology votes. Um, you can make a very strong case for LeBron that year. Um, but Kobe should have won in 05 and 06, should have won in 07. Um, and he didn't. And he got a bunch of apology votes in 08. And that was really um, what put him over the edge. Because, like I said, there's a very strong case to be made for LeBron that year. Uh, of course, he would go on and win the next two years, so I, I'm not too worried about stealing MVPs from LeBron there. Um, but they do that a lot. This happens This happens quite a bit. Um, Kevin Garnett in 2004 is probably one of them. You know, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of people uh, convalescing around him or coalescing around him as an MVP. As like somebody's like, well, really, is Duncan that much better than Kevin Garnett? At the time, he wasn't. And uh, so I, I think there's going to be apology votes for Jokic, you know, in the sense of like, uh, yeah, you know, you were clear-cut best player in the league. You showed you were the MVP. Um, you know, we're sorry about that. Here's, you know, here you go. Um, even if even if his year isn't as good as last year. Um, so, But Tatum's my one. I think the narrative of, you know, young guy, the most fa- – the, the easiest narrative for an MVP is young guy takes team to title. Or young guy leads team to, you know, best best record. Um, Jordan's first MVP in 88. They won 52 games that year. You know, Magic's first MVP in 87, you know, uh, you know was when uh, Kareem was going down. And, you know, and he stepped up as the number, as the number one on that. Bird's first MVP in 84 was when uh, they had traded away Cedric Maxwell. And he stepped in. And, you know, threw up this, you know, threw up this weird series of 2020 games at the end of the year that put him over everyone else. It's it's the easiest narrative uh, to get behind, which is the young player uh, ascending. And so for that, for that reason, you know, after Tatum and Jokic, I've got Shea is an easy pick right there. And then, you know, after that, it becomes more about like, you know, the old guy. Uh, holding on to his own, and that's Steph Curry, and that's LeBron James, um, because there's going to be a lot of people if 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 the Lakers win 55 games, there's going to be a lot of people going, hmm, you know, why not LeBron? You know, because the thing about LeBron is that when when you're voting for him, and people love to do this, whether it's right or wrong, when you're voting for LeBron as MVP, you're voting for something that has never happened before and we'll probably never see again, which is a guy getting MVP votes in year 21. And so like, that's a, that's a hard thing for people. That's a, that's a hard temptation for people to overcome. So I'd say those five guys are pretty locked in as my MVP candidates. I don't think, uh, I think uh, gaining, gaining Dame Lillard uh, for uh, Milwaukee, 
I think puts Giannis right out of it. Um, you know, unless he just has an insane year and throws up just an insane bunch of numbers. But hey, hey, tell you this, he threw up insane numbers last year and really wasn't in the conversation. I mean, he was, but he wasn't. So I think I just think um, you know, for him, uh it's it's more of uh the 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 less time he stays away from the, or the more time he stays away from the finals, the more people start to wonder, like, hmm, you know, what if Kevin Durant, you know, ha- hadn't stepped on the line? You know, what if, uh, you know, what if Devin Booker wasn't playing injured in the finals, you know, and you start wondering stuff like that and it kind of hurts his legacy. It's a, that's totally unfair, but I do think that's how voters think. And so, uh, so that's, that's my top five. Uh, but I think, uh, any of them are valid. Hey, it's a good time to watch basketball. There's like 25 players that could probably be MVP. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards could throw up 35, five and five and I wouldn't be shocked, you know? So, uh, it's a good time to be an NBA fan case. Let's yeah, uh, yeah let, let's let's talk about the Lakers uh, who are let's let's check this score who are currently only thirteen down only thirteen down okay all right we're we're coming back we're coming back you know what's sixteen we're thirteen we're we're gonna get there we're gonna get there they're a second half team Chase that's what they are second yeah, this half. season obviously <laughs> very much so uh so I'm gonna I'm gonna be laudatory about the Lakers even though um even though in my mind right now I'm thinking, oh, this season's already done because that's the type of person I am. Um, the Lakers made this offseason and going into last season as well some of the best moves I've ever seen a team make. And it's really made me rethink how I view Rob Palenka, who I wasn't a big fan of him as a GM um, because I didn't like trading you know, everybody <laughs> like we did. Uh, and I really didn't like, I really didn't like the idea of like, you know, New Orleans being like, you can give us Kuzma or Brandon Ingram. And for whatever reason, we gave him Brandon Ingram. I really hated that concept. Um, and I was proven right by that concept because, you know, we, we let Kuzma walk, you know, for, you know, as, as we should have. So um, I'm really high on this team though. Uh, th- this team has a lot of pieces that I really, really like. Um, but the question, of course, and I don't want to belabor it because we've done this with the last three teams. Can Anthony Davis stay healthy, Chase? What what does what would what would seventy games from Anthony Davis look like? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, there was a part of me that wanted to include him in my MVP candidates because there was a twelve game <laughs> there was a twelve game period last year where Anthony Davis was, in my opinion, the unequivocal best player in the NBA. He dropped 50 on Giannis. He, uh, I mean, he was just all over the place on defense. And then, of course, what happened? He got injured again. And they came back into the playoffs, and he was this dominant defensive force until, once again, he's playing Nikola Jokic, who is, you know, the best offensive player uh, in the league and one of the 10, probably one of the 10 best offensive players ever. Um, so, you know, it was a whole different thing. But, like, you know, really watching him, you talked about how, you know, Golden State, the Golden State series really changed your mind, uh, you know, on how far you think Golden State could go because of how bad, you know, the Lakers beat them and stuff. Most of that was on Davis, who was just cutting off every every backdoor cut, who was, you know, stopping, who was, who, who was stopping every single drive into the lane, who was closing out on three-point shooters, you know, who was, who is the, I, I don't care. I don't care if you call me a homer. 
There is no one better at the switch and the pick and roll than Anthony Davis. No one stops more of them than him. The only one that might stop more of them than him is, is Drew Holiday, um, but he's a different kind of defender. So Anthony Davis, there's no better big man at, at the switch than Anthony Davis. And and I love all this stuff because I love the player. I've always loved him. I think he's one of the best UK players of all time, and I love watching him play, but I always worry about him. Can he get uh, – what, what would 70 games look like? If, if if Anthony Davis plays 70 games, are the Lakers the best team in the NBA? Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to go that far, but uh, it would certainly have them in the conversation. They would be, again, in my like top three or four well, – my top four. Um, I think 70 games I, – I don't think that he can put it together in this sense. So last year, towards the beginning of the season – you mentioned it. He was on such a tear. He literally looked like the best player in the NBA. And that was also a time where Jason Tatum was probably, I mean, the Celtics got off to a really hot start. They had the best record in the league. Tatum was averaging like 33 points and nine rebounds and four assists or something like that. And my Tatum MVP hopes actually started to kind of take a bump down when Davis was playing that awesome. I'm like, man, I, I think Davis is playing like the best player in the NBA right now. And then, you know, some injuries happen. He does, he misses a few games. And then I think he didn't play at that level. Because, I mean, it was effortless offense in addition to all NBA or all defense, first team all defense, potential defensive player of the year. So I'll say I think it's more likely if you get 70 games out of Anthony Davis that he is the defensive player of the year. I think there's a chance that he wins that. I think it kind of sucks for him. Again, it is a, a testament to his health issues that he's never won defensive player of the year because he's one of those guys that you he's a defensive player of the year type of guy if he can just put in a year like that so if he plays 65 to 70 games he's going to be a real threat for that more so than like mvp but yeah i mean that that would be outstanding you know every everybody associated with the lakers would sign up for 70 games of anthony davis ending the season healthy heading into the playoffs it looked really good uh, and then I know they've been focusing on his shooting so far. His footwork has looked really good tonight as I've been watching, um, both on offense and defense. He's a really great player, both ends of the floor. I'm glad to see that that translated from college to the NBA, and he even ascended as an offensive player in the NBA without doing the Carl Anthony Towns route of just forgetting that defense is part of the game too. Um, and then You've, you've got a lot of talent around them. Like you mentioned, they made a lot of moves as well that I like. I don't like Jackson Hayes, but I love Gabe Vincent. I think he's a really, really good player. He was underrated for a few years, so him getting any kind of contract on the open market I think is what he deserves. Um, you've got Austin Reeves. He's not a really an offseason acquisition, although they were able to sign him. No one signed him to a huge offer sheet and restricted free agency. That feels like a mistake, but I guess other teams were a little bit afraid of doing so. Uh, and then when they went out and traded and got Jared Vandal Vanderbilt, I love that. I love Jared Vanderbilt, especially when he can be your fifth, sixth, seventh guy. He He can do – he's happy to be kind of behind the scenes just – racking up random fast break assists, getting way more rebounds than anybody thinks he deserves to get because he's just outworking everybody. And then you've got the X factor of year 21 LeBron, like you said. I think he's a great dark horse MVP candidate. If he can get to 65 games himself, um, like you said, also like narrative, you know, that that's something that people vote on and voting for if 
LeBron plays 65 games. The Lakers have the one seed, and LeBron had a good season. If he's averaging, you know, his 25, 8, and 8, that seems kind of low for numbers in uh, today's league, the, the MVP race in today's NBA. But if he's doing something like that, people are definitely going to be inclined to vote for him or at least look his way. They've got a lot going for him. Um, like every team, they've got some issues. Some of it's going to be age. Some of it's going to be health and making sure you get there by the end of the season. They they don't have as many like really obvious holes to me um, other than just is LeBron still a top 15 player or is he like number 18 in the NBA now? Is Anthony Davis going to be healthy and is he a top 10 player or is he more like 12 right now? Um, if you have more on the Lakers, I'd love to hear it, but I'd also like to hear your brain. Like I'm so good at nitpicking the Celtics and finding what I think are their flaws. Can you find a couple of those for me for the Lakers too? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, let me hold off on flaws real quick because I want to bring this up, okay? And I'm going to bring this up all the time. It's to the point that you're probably sick of me saying this, okay? Anthony Davis, last three years, 36 games, 40 games, 56 games. Kawhi Leonard, the last three years, 52 games. Zero games, 52 games. And, like, they play this clip, and I love Shaq to death. Shaq's one of my favorite players ever. They play this clip of Anthony Davis taking this elbow to the head and having to go sit down, and they play it during halftime, and Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, and Shaq clowning on him for being this soft player. And here's what I will say about Anthony Davis, okay? Real quick, before, because I have a lot of nitpicks about the Lakers. Don't worry, we're going to get there. But Anthony Davis, for all of his injury flaws, Chase, can you remember a time where he's been like, hey, load management time for me? No, no. It, it He's always banged up. You really never hear about it. And, I mean, the counter to that is probably he's never had the opportunity to load manage because he's not playing 65 games ever. But, no, it's he pretty much never misses games because he's not injured. Like When he's healthy, he's pretty much always on the court. I'll say this, okay? I would be amazed if Anthony Davis, you know, and this is just me griping back Kawhi Leonard for a second, but hey, you know, it's it's our podcast. I can do what I want. Um, I'd be amazed if Anthony Davis ever said something like what Kawhi Leonard said at his press day where he's like, no one's going to tell me how many games I'm supposed to play. And understand, like, Kawhi Leonard is the very poster child of player empowerment at this point, even maybe more so than anyone other than maybe James Harden. And so I get where he's coming from on that. But the difference to me is that when Anthony Davis can't play, it looks like it kills him not to be out there. And when Kawhi Leonard doesn't play, you know, he's just kind of, he's kind of there, you know, and he's just like, you know, he's sometimes, you know, he's he's not really a, a leader guy anyway. I don't know. I, I'm just always like the Davis to me, you know, I've got to defend my boy here because he's on the Lakers, you know, and I'll, I'll defend any Laker uh, to the death. But like Davis to me just gets this really bad rap of like his injury, his, his injury issues, which are there, of course. But man, like he's trying like the whole reason he got injured in the first place is because the Lakers like you need to bulk up. I don't know why they said that to him. I have no clue. 
you know, the year after he averaged 26 and 12, you know, and let him basically him and LeBron let him to a title on the bulk in the bubble. I don't know why they decided he needed to bulk up, but he's, he was carrying an extra 30 pounds on his body and didn't know how to work with it. Cause he's never been that big. And so like, to me, if Anthony Davis, you know, if, if he, if he can stay healthy, in my opinion, he's in the conversation with, you know, Giannis Embiid and Jokic. That's the only thing keeping him out of that conversation is the fact they can't stay healthy. And so that leads me to my first nitpick, which is this. If Anthony Davis goes down, to your point, it becomes Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood. And oh boy, is there is there some 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 problems there. Now I, I'm not down on Jackson Hayes as the eleventh person on this team, which I think is what he is. Um but I'm kind of down on him getting 25 minutes a game if Anthony Davis goes down. That is that that kind of scares me. And with Christian Wood, he's a player that I always feel like kind of gets a bad rep. But at the same time, at, at a certain point, he's had the same rep at every single team he's been on. And there's been teams that have really invested in, in him. And he just kind of like throws it away, mm-hmm. you know, takes a lot of takes a lot of of takes a lot of defensive possessions off for a guy who really, you know, should be one of the, one of the better rim protectors in the league. And he just kind of like goes into la la land. And, you know, and there's all this, there, there, when he got signed, there was all this, this, you know, uh, hubbub about, well, here comes LeBron, you know, taking a, you know, taking another player under his wing. And of course, you know, me as the LeBron guy I am is like, I don't remember him ever taking a player under his wing. We have, we have definitive proof. There's a lot of players he's that have played with LeBron and have gotten worse playing with LeBron, you know? And so for me, I'm a little worried about some of this depth. I love Torian Prince. Um, I, you know, I think Torian Prince was a great pickup. I'm, kind of high on cam reddish like that's probably the hottest take of the entire podcast but i'm kind of high on him i think i think he had i think he was in a bad spot in atlanta um i think he was in a bad spot he was in detroit last year right is that right where was he last year chase do you know uh, Torian prince he was with the wolves cam reddish cam reddish i know where prince oh was. i'm sorry oh gosh um he was with the blazers at one point where was he last he ended up with the Knicks at one point, I think, too. Let me—I'm looking him up right now. Yeah. Um, his last season was with the Knicks and then the Blazers this past okay. year. Yeah. So I mean, he's never really had a spot where he's been able to light, in my opinion. So I mean, I think I think he's got. I, I mean, I think there's potential there. Okay. Um, whatever he is. Um, I you've already talked about Vanderbilt. Love Vanderbilt. Love his motor. Um, you know I. And of course, you know, to me, I think uh, the guy that's, you know, the guy that's going to step up and really be a a fantastic player for him is Austin Reeves. Uh, he was him and Anthony Edwards the two most talked about people during the the FIBA games. Um, so I'm just I'm really high on on both of those guys um, on on Austin Reeves and, and Anthony Edwards. Um, I'm really high on what they could do for their respective teams. But with Reeves, I think obviously Reeves, his, the best thing about where Reeves is, and he's almost in the perfect position as a player because he's totally a additive guy. You know, he's a guy, and, and he his his game is like that, where 
He's a guy who is a really good defender, a really good passer, a really good shooter, but he never has to be the guy. So he can just do all the all the little things that make players that make teams win. And I love having guys like that. Um, but even in the backcourt, there's a question mark there too, right? Because look, I I'm a D'Angelo Russell defender from way back, but you know Russell talked about this during his press day, um, which I thought was real big of him talking about the reason he couldn't make it onto the court during the playoffs was because teams were attacking him. Um, yeah, you know, teams were attacking him. He's not a good defender. He's never been a good defender and there's no reason for him to be a bad defender because he's six foot five. He's very long and he's a, he's agile and quick. All that should translate to good defender. And, you know, of course, he talks about how he wants to be Derek White and things like that, which I, I think you should take as a definite compliment there, Chase, and, and Derek White should too. But I am i don't know if he can be that. That would be almost a completely different player than what he has been. So, yeah, there's questions here, Chase. There's a lot of questions. I think, you know, a lot of things can break well for them. And what if you're going to be confident in this team, your confidence has to come from the fact that from the play-in through the playoffs, things broke really well for them. And can it happen again? That's what the, like, that's the question, you know, is like, can can they carry that momentum where, you know, they are this deep, extremely good defensive team um, with one of the one of the best players of all time uh, leading it in year 21. <laughs> you know, what does that look like for them? I personally think, you know, my prediction for them is about 51 to 52 wins, um, you know, which, I mean, it's, you know, is depending on how you look at it, is either really low or really high. Uh, I know they're over-under 45, I think, right now. And, um, you know, I would, I'd say that's probably fair. I think it's going to be in the 45 to 52 range. And, uh, and I think that could put them, you know, anywhere between the two and seven seed, you know, because of how where the West is going to be. But what I do know about them is if they get into the, if they get into the playoffs healthy, watch out because they're a very hard team to beat, uh, in a seven game series. And they're going to be worse this year if they're healthy and if everything breaks well, because all these, you know, uh, Austin Reeves is going to be one year better. Jared Vanderbilt will be one year better. And, you know, a healthy Anthony Davis is one of the most destructive players in the league. Um, and then, of course, there's also this, you know, LeBron should be super motivated because here's the thing about I've thought about this a long time. If you're in the in the conversation of who the best player is, and I know a lot of people don't care about that, but LeBron definitely cares about that. And in the conversation of who the best player is right now, with Jordan, you have to go, well, six rings. And with LeBron, you have to go longevity. But no one in the history of sports has won a title in year 21. And has done it with that, and has done it in in a in a way where they are the best player on the team, and that to me is the biggest storyline for for LeBron, because that puts him in a really rarefied status, you know, um, 
where like he is the he is he has the longest reigning best player in a sport um and he's, he's kind of already that you know i mean to be honest i mean i would say from 2009 until about 2000 what 16 17 he's the best player in the world you know and like that's a pretty i mean eight years of the best player in the world is is a really hard thing to do you know i mean jordan didn't really do that kobe didn't do that that's a really difficult thing sorry i was gonna say people were also making the case for him definitely by like 2006 2007 like people would definitely argue that it was even longer of a span than that but yeah he he definitely that span you gave yeah, I mean the thing that you know, of course the it's it the 2006 stuff is is weird. It's, it's so skewed because I wear those Cavaliers teams. I'm not taking anything from LeBron there. You definitely have a point. Like he's he's in the conversation. Obviously he's top five, um, probably top three. Um, but like the the interesting thing with LeBron, of course, like I said, is like if he wins one here, I mean, you know, he's got he he's got another thing he can he can say was well, like, well, Jordan never did this, you know. Jordan, you know, Jordan could pull this off. You know, in fact, no one in sports could pull this off. So, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm very intrigued to see what we get out of him because the really, the, the, the thing that they need to do with, and I think one of the reasons they have all these players, all these wings and, you know, that's the Cam Reddish is the Torian Princess. You know, um, they've they've really uh, you know brought in Gabe Vincent, um, who I realize is like a point, but still kind of a wing player. You know, uh, I think the one of the reasons they brought all this in is because I really do think they want to keep LeBron, you know, in the thirty minute you know thirty minute game range, because what happened in the Denver Nuggets series was by game three, really by game two, LeBron is done, his legs are gone. And when that happens, of course, and, you know, your point of attack is really just LeBron, um, as all LeBron teams are, um, when, when that happens, you know, you, you lose a lot and you, you, that, I mean, that was the, that was the end of the the series, uh, because we just couldn't, we couldn't score points with them anymore. And I wonder if, you know, this year, you know, what kind of step back LeBron's going to take. You know, um, he doesn't he doesn't need the stats anymore. He's scored more points than anyone ever has and probably ever will. So um, I don't know. It, it th- That's a question to me. You know, if, if I have a nitpick about the Lakers, you know, it, you know, surprise, surprise. My biggest nitpick is like, you know, what LeBron are we getting? Because if we get LeBron that, you know, is playing 38, 40 games a night. OK, that's great. You know, he'll, he'll put up those 28, five and fives or 28. Really, it's closer to 28, like seven and nine now. But like he'll put up those numbers again. Uh, but once we get into the playoffs, you know, what does that look like? You know, what is he? You know, um, and so, yeah, I, I'd like to see him him take a step back. I'd like to see Darvin Ham, you know, uh, come up with some interesting lineups. Uh, we didn't mention really Hachimura, who I think uh, could could really step in and, and offer a lot of good minutes. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Chase, I, I I'm up and down. Like as, as, as I was putting this together, I mean, they were, I had them as high as one and as low as seven. <laughs> so like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of up and down on the team as you can tell. Yeah. As low as seven is pretty wild, but if you're going just purely in 
regular season finish. I mean, that's possible. But, yeah, I mean, I struggle to have them outside of my top two or three contenders, really. In the in the West, that is. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty set on on the Nuggets or them being the finals team. Um, at coming out of the West, and then you know it becomes a whole different beast because I don't I don't think. Here's what I will say, okay? Before I get to my wild card, who who's your is your final pick? What what's your final pick? Celtics and who? I've got Celtics over Nuggets. Okay. I've got Celtics over Lakers. I mean, I think the Lakers, I, th- I think they can make the finals, um, but I just, I don't think they can beat that Celtics team. I really know. Um, just if, if that team, if that team clicks like it can, I don't think this, I don't think the Lakers can beat them, which by the way, I hope you understand how much it like kills me to say that, you know? Yeah. I, I'm able to recognize, I mean, you are very complimentary of my Celtics and have been for years, and I, I appreciate that there are players on the Celtics that you, you can find some liking for. But, yeah, as a, a Celtics fan, I, I can definitely respect that because I love to see the Lakers lose, even though I like to see you happy. Yeah, uh, well, I appreciate that. Um, I don't I don't love to see Celtics lose. I mean, Celtics have, you know, Larry Bird's one of my favorite players ever. Um, but I just don't, I don't want to see them beat the Lakers. You know, I just really don't. I'm so tired of the 2018. I'm just, uh, so tired of them. And, uh, you know, and that, that's, that, that was, that was so depressing for me. So, so this year could be as well, because I really do think like if, if it gets down to it, um, you know, it's, it's just, they're a team that's, uh, really designed, uh, to beat a team like the Lakers, you know, and to really make the Lakers work at what they're good at doing. Um, now the Nuggets are holding our beast, you know. Um, I don't, I don't think any team has a has a way of solving Jokic, um, but I do think it's it's possible to contain the other pieces around him. And to your point, like really put that to the test. So um, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. I, I have uh, Chase. I have I have a wild card, and I want to take my time with it. Do you mind if I take my time with this wild card? No, I can step away. I can let you have the floor. Uh, that, that, that's that's not what I meant because uh-huh. we're, we're going to do some deep diving. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number one picks from two, from 1990 to 2010. Okay. So it starts with Derek Coleman ends with Blake Griffin. All right. Mm-hmm. For that time period, there are. 92 all NBA teams between those 20 picks. Now, you might think that's a good number. You might think that's a high number, okay? And it's not a bad number, but for what, how we value number one picks, it's really not that high. Like, I mean, if you did, you know, I mean, if you did uh, five uh, 20, you know, or five for each one of them be a, you know, be a, a hundred. Um, so they, they're not even getting to the average of five years where they're one of the best 15 players. So you have this situation, okay, where 92 all NBA teams between 20 number one picks. Are you with me? Yeah, I think so. I don't know the direction you're going, but I think so far so good. 
How many of those do you think David Robinson and Tim Duncan have? Mm-hmm. Out of 92. I'll say 25. That's perfect. That is the perfect number. They have 25 out of 92. Okay, between wow. those two players, you have a little more than uh, a little more than a fourth of all of the All NBA teams between 1990 and 2010. And here's where it gets real interesting. Here's where it gets really fun. If you take away Shaq and LeBron, Shaq oh, has 14, yeah. LeBron has 18. They have more than everyone else combined. If you take away Shaq and LeBron. So like last year, if you remember, one of the one of the things I said was is that whichever team gets Victor Wimbenyama will regret having Victor Wimbenyama. Except for who? Who did I say? Except for the San Antonio Spurs. Because no team has ever capitalized on their number one pick like them. Also, out of this entire list, there are two players that have stayed with their team the whole career. And guess what? It's David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Everyone yeah, their players has uh, moved. Sorry, yeah, it, there's that. And then you've also pointed out that very, very few of them have won titles with their team. Um, and then, of course, Kyrie was not in that span anyway, but Kyrie almost doesn't count. And then LeBron didn't win a title with the team that drafted him until he left and then came back. So, I mean, right. those are two of the only one, number one picks that won titles with their team either. Right, exactly. So so you've got all that, okay? So my wildcard team is the Spurs, who I've currently got as the number eight seed in the West, which I realize is crazy. <laughs> Let yeah. me let me make my case. Let me make my case. Here, here's a couple things about the Spurs that we need to keep on our minds, okay? First and foremost, okay, when Tim Duncan came into the league, okay, he came into the league, he was on a David Robinson-injured Spurs team the year before, 96. Dave Robinson had uh, back spasms, kept him pretty much out of the year, the whole year in 90, uh, in 96, uh, 97. Um, that was, this was a weird year chase, which you, I, you should look up at some point because they bring Dominic Wilkins back from Greece and he's like their player. And so like 1996, Dominic Wilkins is going out there and trying to ball. And like, they were just horrible. It was a very clear tanking situation because they knew Tim Duncan was coming. Duncan comes in. And this is why I think it's hilarious when we ever compare anybody to Tim Duncan as far as like, you know, because he's, he's the most successful number one pick ever. And, and it's not particularly close. Um, Duncan comes in and he is an all first NBA player his very first year and makes all defense second, <laughs> second team his very first year. And they go from 29 wins to 56 wins in that year. And it's it's and nothing else changed except David Robinson was healthy, but no, no the play, and there was no other players. Still Sean Elliott, still Avery Johnson, you know, uh, you know, still Vinny Del Negro, uh, you know, is is still there. Um, so like a you know same team, just adding Tim Duncan. And I have been very bullish on Wimbenyama. Okay, and I'm not once again I'm not saying like he's gonna have a Tim Duncan effect. Okay, but. 
I've watched basketball my entire life. And at this point, he is he is so different than anything I've ever seen um, because he's got he's got a shot that it took Kobe five years to master, and then it took I mean, you could even make the case LeBron hasn't mastered it, and Kevin Durant has kind of I mean has definitely mastered at this point. Took him a couple years to master. But the thing that that impressed me most about Wimbenyama and about how Popovich is playing him is they do this thing, Case, where they put him at the top of the key, he does a handoff, and then he gets the ball in an ISO on either left or right side, and he takes one step and does the hezzy pull. And there's an entire video with Patrick Beverly talking about how hard it is to guard the Hezzy pool when he's talking about Anthony Edwards. Uh, not that I want to give too much credit to Patrick Beverly, but he's talking about how hard it is for us, for someone to guard Anthony Edwards pulling the Hezzy pool, who is six foot four. Wimbenyama is a foot taller than Anthony Edwards. And he has that shot. If he's making that shot consistently this year, I I think they're going to be an eight seed. I don't see any way they're not. Here's the, the case. The other thing about them, they have, you, you were talking about teams that have an incentive to tank. They have no incentive to tank whatsoever because the other teams that are doing bad. They have so many of their picks. Like you understand they've got the Atlanta. So like the Atlanta Hawks, who I think were close to being your wildcard team. Okay. The Atlanta Hawks, I think we'd both agree at the very least are volatile. They've got the Atlanta Hawks picks in 2025 and 2027 because of the DeJounte Murray thing. And DeJounte Murray will probably walk away from that team after this year um, because he's probably sick of Trey Young or they're not going to give him what he wants or whatever. And when that happens, like, what does that team look like? So you've got, like, there's two possible top 15 picks right there. You know? It, I mean, they've got they've got so many picks coming up. They've got all their own picks. They've got picks from the from the Hawks they got picks from the Rockets they've got picks all over the place and they have no reason to to tank whatsoever and then also I know this is going to sound crazy I know it is but I like the team Chase I like Keldon Johnson I like Devin Vassell who didn't play almost at all last year I like Jeremy I like Jeremy Sojan um they've got really really good players and even though I personally think like you know, to me, you know, I was a scoot guy. Um, and I still think there's a good chance he could be rookie of the year, but it's the Spurs with a high end pick. And in the last from 1989 to now, okay, we have definitive proof that if the Spurs get a landmark pick, get a pick that is something that no one has seen before or is just like just really hyped up as one of the best basketball players coming into the draft, you know, or if they get a number one pick, that is just something that is special. And that everyone is making these lottery terms about if we have definitive proof at this point, that if they have that, they're successful with that. And there's all these, all these analysts, you know, are going like, yeah, I really think the Spurs, you know, are going to have, you know, they're, they're going to really, uh, they're going to really improve to 32 wins or something. I'm just sitting there going, guys, I'm telling you right now, Greg Popovich, 
you know, he's he he's not he's not coming to lose this year. That man doesn't tank very often, and he doesn't wait. And so I'm that that is that is my wild card pick because I'm looking at this team and I'm going, this is a Greg Popovich team. You know, this is a team that definitely looks like a. I mean, they've got they've got long arm people at every single every single position. <clears throat> we were talking about like what how it's nice to have good uh, defenders at every position. Um, you know, there's people picking Wimbenyama to be defensive player of the year. I I think that's kind of crazy, um, just because I don't think voters will vote for him. But at the same time, you know, we've seen him do things on defense we haven't seen anyone else do. Keldon Johnson is a B plus defender. Jeremy Sochan is so, could end up being an A plus defender this year. Devin Vassell's a good defender. They've got. I mean, I don't I, look, Case. I know I'm crazy. I get it. I understand. I know. I know you're sitting there just laughing, and that's perfectly fine. Okay. But I'm telling you, when when we get when when we get to about February, and this team is creeping along. You know, and it's staying in the seven to eight seed, and everybody's just wondering like why that's happening. I'm telling you, you remember this moment, you know, when the only person that you know of was like, I, I, I'm still scared of Greg Popovich. I have, I, there are a few coaches that have been a bigger portion of my life than Greg Popovich, and it doesn't come from a place of love, Case. It comes from a place of fear. And it comes from a place of just anxiety. And I'm telling you, you know, Draymond Green said, you know, on, on, on his podcast, he's like, well, with the new CBA, you know, we're definitely going to be the last dynasty. And I had to laugh because we've seen this happen before. And I think we're about to see it happen again. So that is my wild card case. Tear it apart. Well, I don't want to be too negative. I, I think you made a bunch of excellent points. In fact, I've already made bets on their over because I think their over under being at like 28 and a half is just kind of absurd. Um, and then while you were speaking, I went and tried to see if I could find any bets on any longer shots. And I bet a decent amount on them going over 33 and a half because I think that's pretty likely. Um, but I mean, that that's kind of the range where I see them. I don't like the players around Wimby enough. Um, so again, like I think the Thunder are probably going to be in the play-in range, and I think the players around Shea are so much better than the players around Wimby. So, I mean, if you want to say that Wimby's already as good as Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I still think that the Spurs are going to be worse than the Thunder. So uh, it depends on kind of what your wild card is here, because I don't think they're anywhere near contending to win a championship this year. Uh, and that's kind of what I was thinking of with my wild card. But if you want to say they're a wild card to make a play, the playoffs when nobody thinks they're going to make it, go for it. As we said, there are 13 or 14 teams that could potentially make the play in and thus potentially make the playoffs. And I, I absolutely think they're one of those. Right now, they're on the outside sitting uh, outside looking in for me. I'm going to I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to be 11 or 12. But I won't be shocked whatsoever if they end up in the play in. And you just have to win two games. So playoffs are absolutely a possibility for them. Um, I think Wimby is going to be an all-star this year. A, um, because it's the fan vote is 50% of it. So, like, I think he's going to get a ridiculous amount of votes. So he's going to get it regardless. But B, I think he's going to earn it. I think he really might be one of the 
uh, 25 or whatever number it is for all-star best players in the NBA this year. And if not, the fan vote's going to make up for it. He's already looking so hard to finagle around on defense. Even if you can beat him every now and then, uh, the little bit that I've seen of him, he is in the head of everybody on the opposing team. They are always trying to figure out where he is. They're afraid of him blocking a shot that they don't think he's going to be able to block. And even with him in their head, they're jumping up and taking shots that they think are going to be clear enough looks, and he's blocking them. So, yeah, they're going to slowly figure out more and more how to deal with him, but they're not going to solve him. There's no solving that guy. He's like a 7-6 shooting guard with a little bit of big man skills too. Uh, it's, I, I think there's very founded reason for extreme optimism. So depending on how high you want to put their ceiling, I'll argue against their ceiling this year. But Spurs fans should be thrilled, as I know they are. Okay. So I'm going to give you some 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 stuff here, okay? 2024. 2024. 2024. They have Charlotte's pick, protected 1 through 14. They have Toronto's protected one through six. They have, in 2025, Atlanta's no protected one. They have Chicago's protected one through 10. 2025, they have Chicago's unprotected. 2026, they can swap with Atlanta. 2026, they can, uh, they have either OKC, Dallas, or Philadelphia's pick. I don't know how that worked, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know what trade that was. Twenty twenty seven, they've got Atlanta's pick. Twenty twenty eight, they've got their pick. Twenty twenty eight, they've got Boston's first round. I was waiting to hear Boston. I I was pretty sure there was at least one other pick from the Derek White trade. And then in twenty thirty, they've got Dallas's first round pick, which that could be juicy, hilarious. Okay, so. What I'm saying, though, Chase, okay, so so here's here's my question for you, okay? All right. So we get to the, let's say we get to the trade deadline, all right? And let's say they're, I don't know, let's say they're like 23 and 22, and they're just, you know, are hanging with everybody. Wimbenyama's putting up like some insane, you know, 25, you know, eight and four with five blocks a game or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're hanging around there, okay? And you're going to have, because we've had it every year, and I think this year, you know, there's there's going to be a lot, in my opinion, of low-hanging fruit. They have all of these assets. They don't even have to trade a player. They have all of these assets, you know? I mean, would you like this team better if they traded an Atlanta, two of the, an Atlanta Hawk pick and that Boston pick for Buddy Hield? Would you like it better then? You know, That's I mean, true. I would. You know, all of a sudden, that I think that increases things. Would you like it better if they traded the two Atlanta Hawk picks and and the Houston Rocket pick for, uh, you know, if they, if, I mean, you know, um, uh, 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 Masai was wanting uh, was was wanting three picks for, um, oh good lord, the Akron, what, Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, for Siakam, I mean, like. Like it better then, you know, I mean, they have the ability to make this team better really, really quickly, you know, and that's before we could even be like, you know, like a lot of these players, a lot of these teams are just going to be selling 
at a low cost. I mean, I think somebody's going to get DeMar DeRozan for a song and a dance, you know? So, like, I really think, I really think this year, you know, they they don't have any incentive to tank and they don't have any incentive. You know, they've got, they've got a bunch of players on their team that this team is built to make Wimbenyama better. I, we didn't even mention the fact that we had a Doug McDermott uh, uh, renaissance mm-hmm. last year. And you and I yeah. both know how much I love Mr. McBuckets. So, you know, Crichton University call home. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't know, Chase. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about it, but I see it. Like, I'm, I'm seeing it like, like I'm the only person that sees Michael Myers in Halloween, you know, and is like trying to explain to people, this guy's coming to kill you and no one's saying anything. You know, yeah. because I really do feel like, you know, like we're, we're about to we're about to hit a moment, you know, where I mean, Keldon Johnson averaged 22 points last year. No one talks about he he averaged 22 points. Like that's that's hard to do. I don't care if there is like I don't care if it's it's you know like empty calorie you know whatever you know he averaged 22 points last year. Devin Vassell is a good point guard. You know, I mean, I, I'm just I don't know. I'm I'm. I, 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 I'm scared is what I'm saying. Okay. And, and I feel like this is the year it starts, you know, I'm not, I don't know if, I don't know if it'll be a title contender, but also know this, you know, if they're the seven or eight seed, I don't want to see Victor women Yama in, in a seven game series, you know, if he's healthy and if he's, you know, as good as we think he's going to be like, yeah. I don't want to do that. You know I mean? If he, if he ends up lining against the Lakers, I don't want that because the thing about the, the other thing we have to take into account here is the fact that one of the things that makes Wimbenyama special right now, and it's the same thing that makes Scoot Henderson special too, because um, I haven't talked about Scoot enough on these podcasts. But the thing that makes those two players special and makes them stand out in this draft class is the fact that they seem to get it and they seem to understand what they are. Um, you know, as far as like, you know, that both they're extremely talented young players, but they also have this hunger to learn. Everything Wimbanyama has been talking about has been like, I am very happy to be in San Antonio and I really want to learn how to be a better player. And if that's truthful, you know, that's fantastic because a lot of these young players have come in. I'll, screw it. I'll say it, some old players, like I don't want to mention any names, but James Harden. Mm-hmm. Chase the fact they can get to oh, got to get to Miami, got to get to L.A., you know, let's go to Houston, you know, let's shut down the strip clubs and all these places. And when Binyama seems to be like a guy who wants to come in and be like, what's it going to take for me to be one of the best players of all time? And Scoot's the same way. And, you know, the only difference where Scoot's going into a situation that might not be as good for him. But when Binyama's going into a situation where, hey, uh, we have taken number one picks before and we – you know, one of them is one of the 10 best players of all time. And another one's one of the 25 best players of all time. So that that's, that's where we're at. And, you know, if you want to be the best, this is the place to be. So I'm, I'm worried, man. I'm worried. You know, I, you know, three years from now, we're doing this podcast. So I'm like, well, Victor Wimanyama is already on his second MVP chase. He's averaging 37, 12, <laughs> 16. And uh, with five blocks and three steals a game on 55, 45, 96 shooting, you know, I'm going to be worried, you know, when, when that happens, uh, you know, uh, and I just want us to remember this moment, you know, as, you know, as, as me saying like, it's coming and it's coming quicker than you probably think. So yeah, they're, they're my wild card. I'm not saying they're going to win. 
anything, but I am going to say I'm I'm I would bet on them to be in the playoffs. Wow. Uh, okay. But so so yeah. Final oh. thoughts on final final thoughts on crazy wild card, Jace. On your crazy wild card, I still disagree with it, but again, I I think it's absolutely possible. I don't. It, it's a hot take. But I don't think it's a stupid take. I don't think it's an absurd take. I don't think it's going to happen, but I absolutely think that it can. Um, and I'll, I'll respect your bravery for making that take. So um, I appreciate it. Part of me hopes that it does happen, just so we can say that you said it here first. <laughs> me too. Me too. We can send this in somewhere. Yeah. All right, Chase. Uh, last thoughts on the NBA season uh, coming up. Anything you want? Any, anything else you want to bring up? Uh, no, maybe if you want to, we could rapid fire through a couple of awards. I don't really care about too many of them, but uh, no, unless you've got anything else, I- I'm pretty much good. Let's rapid fire awards. MVP, uh, I've got Tatum, you've got Jokic. Yeah, and I think we have each of each other's as the number two option, so sounds good. Okay, rookie of the year. Um, gosh, I, for me, rookie of the year breaks down pretty evenly between – Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, and Chet Holmgren. I, think uh, I figured you were going to say Koulibaly there. I love Koulibaly. I love him. He's also playing for the Wizards. Um, <laughs> so he's not going to be on TV. He just isn't. You know, I mean, Wembanyama's going to be on TV. Uh, Scoot will have – Scoot's probably not going to be on TV that much, but he's going to be a guy that, like – you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be sending you a lot of Scoot Henderson TikToks. We'll just say that. I'll and appreciate then, it. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll all enjoy them together. And then Chet, of course, the thing the thing with Chet is he's probably going to be the guy that's going to be going the deepest into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and I can see them all kind of having very similar years. Like I think women y'all will probably the like have the most points. I think Scoot will probably be you know average probably average most assists probably easily, but like also be like the most dynamic. And then mm-hmm. with Holmgren, it'll get we'll we'll get just like because Holmgren's a white guy. I'm going to say it. You know, we're, we're, you know, still racist on how we cover the stuff. And with Homer, we'll just get all these, you know, oh, he's such a professional, just a professional player all the time. You know, all that stuff we say about white guys when they come into the league. Um, so, like, I think those three are going to break out pretty even. But I feel like it's going to be Wembenyama. I mean, I, I mean, it's just if, like, I don't know, man. Like, that block on Jalen Williams is just, mm. just something. Because I remember there was that one TikTok I, that I sent you. It was like, what do you notice here, Chase? You know, because I was really picking apart Wimbanyama. And I was like, he's avoiding contact. And he was. He was avoiding contact on this really great block. But on that one, it was Williams beats him. And he just turns around and extends. What, and he looks like, like, he just looks like, it, it, it looks, I don't even know. I don't even know what it looks like. It looks like an alien yeah. just straight up going to block him. You know, from, and he's outside the restricted area when he does it, and Williams is at the basket. So we're already at, like, things that I've never seen before in my life situation. Um, so I don't know. Women y'all was probably my pick. Is, it, is is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I've already made a bet on him to win Rookie of the Year, and I was shocked to see that I got it at slightly favorable odds. He was the favorite, but um, to where it wasn't like Wimby against the field, which I think it should be. Uh, you mentioned uh, for most of these awards, I attempted to write down some honorable mentions and some dark horses or wild cards. I, I didn't even deign to put a wild card here. So honorable mention, I said Chet and Scoot, and I just can't fathom anybody else being in the conversation uh, with 
I mean, one of those three guys, if not two or all three of them, is going to have a great rookie season, and no, I don't think anybody else is going to compare it to it. But, yeah, I mean, if Wimby plays, I don't know, 60 games, I would be fairly surprised if he doesn't win it. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, the thing about the thing about Scoot is just I think he's going to have the most opportunities because he's going to be running the show. So, I mean, it's uh, – but, yeah, I think it's those three. I think Wimby's got to be the guy. Um, okay, uh, sixth player of the year, you got a pick there? Yeah, I mean, I don't really care about this award all that much. I think it's a little bit silly, but I have a manual quickly. There was a case that he should have won it last year. He ended last year on absolute fire and then went into the playoffs and kind of put up a dud, uh, kind of surprisingly. But, yeah, I mean, I think he probably has room to improve. I think he's going to have the same role that he did last year. He's going to be coming off the bench but playing a whole bunch of minutes. I think quickly he's going to have an awesome year. And there, I just have too many questions about everybody else. Honorable mention, I have Caleb Martin, Malik Monk, Chris Paul, if he's coming off the bench. And then um, one that I heard on a podcast today, people talking like, Drew Holiday could be coming off the bench a majority of his games. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if Holiday, I, I can't believe I heard it, but if Holiday ends up coming off the bench for 50-plus games, I mean, he'd be, uh, he's so overqualified to be a six-man. So, I mean, I guess that would be my pick if that ends up the case. But quickly, yeah, he's I have written down. <laughs> he's not, I mean, he's not. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of people do, there's a lot of people talking about that because it's it's you've got to fill ten minutes in a in an hour long segment I'm assuming but like he's not if you he know, does actually, actually, I'm, I'm shocked your boy your boy Double P ain't on there man Peyton Pritchard's <laughs> not on there because yeah, he's Peyton on mine too yeah uh, he definitely could be I think he's going to be great off the bench honestly that's an oversight on my part mainly because he's not the uh, sixth man he would be the seventh man but um, statistically he could still put himself in the ring for it i mean i think i think peyton you know i mean uh I, peyton pritchard was the guy that was on my so the thing about six man of the year they typically like to give it to i like do one of two things they want to give it to like the same person three years in a row like jamal crawford <laughs> and and louis williams yeah or they like to want to give it to like an ascending kind of like a guy that's like coming up um and so i'm kind of yeah i think i think peyton's peyton falls in all those categories um, I kind of, I, one of the ones that I really think is interesting is Cason Wallace. <laughs> sure. I really think he's interesting. I know he's a rookie, but like, I really, uh, they have given it to rookies before, um, you know, and I really think he's kind of, he, he's, he's going to be one of those guys that has a lot of highlights and he's going to have a lot of those moments where, uh, people just talk about like when you case and Wallace comes to the game, it's just a, just a different feel of the game because he's a guy's going to get in your, he, he gets in your grill. He's, he wants to make his name on defense. Um, so I, I like him, um, to win it. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of like Reggie Jackson on the nuggets. Like, I don't, I, I know that's weird. Like we didn't even talk about him on the nuggets. But I kind of like that play too, just because it just the like if, if the Nuggets are like you know way ahead in the Western Conference standings, you know, and they're just not getting any award play whatsoever. Uh, that's it. Just it's just one of those things that kind of seems like that could be a possibility. Uh, Reggie Jackson's a really solid player. Um, so I don't know. I mean, those are kind of like, yeah, I mean, I like all, I like every pick you, I mean, quickly was actually the one that I, and I, I noticed on the betting odds was getting, was going off pretty well. And like, 
he's he's the one that makes a lot of sense. Thing that scares me about quickly is like how how much is he going to come off the bench? Because <laughs> like he could he could one hundred percent still a, still a starting role if Thibodeau gets you know angry enough at Grimes or uh, or R.J. Barrett. So that's the only thing about him that makes me think um, you know he could be interesting. Yeah, maybe. I, the one weird thing with that is I also noticed that Josh Hart, I mean, he's still with the Knicks, right? He was uh, kind of high up there in those odds, too. So I wonder if they might eat at each other a little bit. But he's kind of Hart- starting like, I mean, so that, see, that's the thing. Like, I was wondering, like, because like, like during the finals, he was he was there starting, too, right? No, I was thinking the playoff. I'm sorry. I have to think. So, I mean, they're starting uh, Brunson, Barrett, Randall, Mitchell, Robinson, and Grimes. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, at that point, Hart's coming off the bench. Okay. All right. Um, most improved player? Um, I put Evan Mobley. This is another uh, one. I, I don't love the award and I especially think it's difficult to, um, predict. So Mobley, I talked on the last podcast, how much I think Struess could help some spacing. I think that might help him both. Like it might help him improve his shot a little bit, but it's also going to give him a little bit more room in the paint. So I think he's going to potentially have an even better offensive season and he was already, I believe, an all-defensive. Uh, he was definitely receiving votes, so I think he made one of the all-defense teams last year. So if he's a top-10 defender in the NBA, he can improve his um, offense and potentially even improve his defense some more, too. I think Mobley's definitely got a runway there. I'll let you. I'll try not to steal any thunder. So if you've got somebody else, I'll tell you my honorable mentions here in a little bit. Go ahead. Um, my uh, So the guy, that I, the guy that I think will win it, uh, or who I think has the best chance of winning it just because of the narrative once again, Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Similar, similar reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they're for the same draft class, right? They're both from two years ago, right? Were they back-to-back picks? Was was Barnes three? They might have been, actually, yeah. They were right next to each other. I think Barnes was either three or four. But it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a narrative thing. It's, you know, two guys who last year – you know, Mobley, nobody was talking about Mobley taking a step back until he was bad in the playoffs. Like, I remember yeah. uh, Simmons talking about his uh, defensive player of the year, and he was like, he had Mobley like fifth, you know, and that's fine. I mean, Mobley's a fantastic defender. Uh, I just think with Barnes, you know, at a certain point, the Raptors, the, the Raptors, I, I'm almost convinced are going to at least trade Pascal Siakam, um, you know, if, if if they don't trade OG as well. Uh, yeah, they're weird, man. I said they are um, the team that I said last year they were going to make some trades. They should have traded Fred Van Vliet. They probably should have traded a couple of other guys, and then they ended up just letting them walk. They traded to get Yaka um, Pertle. That didn't make any sense to me. Um, and then one of the other things, their pick is top six protected this year. So even if they get the seventh pick, they're sending it away. So I don't think they're wanting to tank i don't think they're going to actively try they definitely might sell some of their players for cap reasons or just to get value back but there's no reason for them to just not try to be good well here here's here's what i'm saying okay siakam and barnes don't make any sense on the team together they just no. don't they don't make any sense at all um and you know and i i would love to see either one of them learn how to shoot a three-point shot but it hadn't happened yet and so, you know, I just feel, I feel like 
I feel like Siakam's about to get traded. I really do. Um, and that, and you know, and that's probably a smart thing. Step up Barnes, put him in that power forward position. He's long and rangy, you know, and got a good motor. I think he'd be really good in that. So that's kind of the pick. I think the pick I want chase, but you can already tell, I bet, I bet you know who I want. Who, who do I want? Austin Reeves. Absolutely. I want AR 15, baby. Uh, you know, I, you know, the thing is I'm looking at him not, you know, it's just weird. It's like, he's leading the Lakers in rebounds right now, which is just funny. You know, it's like, I don't know. And he, he just, he just does so many fun things. Um, you know, this, this is not going to, I don't think this game's going to go well for us right now. We're down 12. Um, so maybe this isn't the best game to show it, but I really do wonder, you know, if, if Darvin Ham starts to, um, particularly if he wants to start protecting LeBron and stuff, the guy that makes the most sense and who kind of had some success running their kind of pick and roll backdoor screen offense that they run was Reeves. And he had a lot of good success on it in the playoffs last year. Um, and particular his two band game with uh, Anthony Davis. So I wonder, you know, he's, he's definitely gonna get the minutes. He's going to end up with like 35, 37 minutes a night. Um, it's just going to be, you know, how much, how, how much they're going to allow him to assert himself. But I mean, I, I don't think, you know, 20, 25 and six is out of range for him. And that would be a definite step up. And, um, you know, he's, yeah, I, I think he's, 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 he's one of those guys who just makes sense as a candidate. Um, but I think mm-hmm. Motley and Barnes, you know, are perfect. Who's, who's your other wild cards? Yeah, so I had Barnes for the same reason as Mobley. I'd considered that. I thought about putting Cade Cunningham on there, but that's just too weird for me after having basically only seen him for a season. So uh, my four that I had, uh, three in addition to Barnes, were Mikhail Bridges, Tyrese Maxey, and Austin Reeves. Yeah, uh, Maxey's a good pick. Um, uh, uh, Bridges, I don't know. I mean, Bridges Bridges is like – so like for Bridges averaged like 22 points last year, didn't he, or something like that? Yeah, so the weird thing with Bridges is that his after he got traded to the Nets, he was just phenomenal. So he didn't really have a whole season put together to win the award last year. But if he basically averages, I think, what he did with the Nets last year for an entire season, I think he's going to be right there in the mix for this award, too. Both kind of like to give him a, a little wink at what he did last year and to prove it this year. Yeah, you... you uh... Yeah, Maxi and him. Uh, yeah, I mean, Bridges is interesting. I just, I feel like it's one of those things where, like, he could do it, but I feel like there's going to be voters going back. He's already there. Like, Bridges is weird because, like, I think there's a lot of people. Like, I heard I heard Bill Simmons say he liked Bridges rather than Jalen Brown. And, like, I know I jokingly, I think I, I was, I was like, really poking the bear one time and said that to you. I, I don't really buy that. And, I, and Bridges is weird because I think there are people that do. And I'm not saying, like, he could, um, like, I'm not saying he couldn't be as good as Jalen Brown, but like to say he's there right now in like this top 20 situation, I just don't know if he's there. And so uh, if, if he, if he ascends into that role, yeah, I think he'd be perfectly fine as most valuable or most approved player, but I just don't know if people actually vote for him there because I think they already think he's there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it so, could go either way. Them thinking that he's already there or them giving credit for him making that jump like in the middle of last season. That's yeah. why I didn't pick him, but I gave him honorable mention. I will say, I mean, like, honestly, 
post that after that trade, I think there's a case that he played better than Jalen Brown the rest of the way. So if that just ends up being the player that he is, I think he did make a jump, and there there is a case between him and Brown. I definitely think Brown has proven it more, and I like Brown more right now. But if he ends up playing that well for an entire season, um, albeit maybe on not the best team, uh, I, I I think there's an argument there at least. <laughs> I just, I just kind of want to see. I want to see what he looks like this year. You know, the Nets are weird because, like, they've got they're based around three players that are just, in my opinion, insanely good defensively with Bridges yeah. and Simmons and Nick Claxton. And I, I do wonder. You know, like I, I don't want to get on the Simmons bandwagon. I really don't. I really don't. I, I really, really do not, because I really think he's so disappointing. And like, it's just one of those things where it's like, man, you know, like if I was six foot ten, I would just love basketball so much. And he just, he just doesn't look like he wants to play basketball ever, and it just bothers me. But man, if they, if they put it together, they could be scary. I mean, that's a scary three, four, and five. Uh, in my opinion, uh, that could really do some interesting things on defense. So I don't know. Bridges might actually be a decent pick. I want to say this real quick, Chase. You brought up Cade yeah, Cunningham. Well, it, there is... Is it, oh, all right, let me run one more thing on the Nets then before you go and talk about right. Cade. Um, one of the things that when we were looking at storylines, my backup, if you had happened to have taken one of mine, was like, are the Nets just going to be beating people 100 to 98 all season? Because exactly <laughs> what you said, they – looks so good defensively on paper but then you also like you get no shooting from Simmons you get no shooting from Claxton offensively they make almost no sense together um it's kind of strange I mean and even when you go past that I mean you know my favorite um guy that you like to make fun of me for Dorian Finney-Smith he's another one of those guys that's more defense than offense he can hit a three every now and then if you give him space but that team's not going to have as much spacing around it either so that's going to make it hard on him that just team looks so good on paper I just don't know how they outscore other teams go ahead and talk to me about it well no I'll just say this is about if I didn't love the Pacers so much they were going to be my wild card because I sure. don't, I don't understand. See, the other thing, of course, about them is they got one of my favorite players in the entire league on that team, which is Spencer Dinwiddie. And I love Dinwiddie. I love his game. I love his moxie. I love the fact that he started out in the G League, you know, or started out in the main, got shut down in the G League, and he's back again. And just, I love everything about Spencer Dinwiddie. So um, I, I kind of like the Nets. I just. Like, yeah, and they're one of those other awkward teams that uh, they stupidly don't have their own draft pick. And that one, they and the Clippers are the only ones that aren't even protected at all. So yeah. uh, they have absolutely no incentive to tank. So if you have a team like, you know, the Chicago Bulls or something that end up tanking, they could kind of pass over them. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You know, Ben, you know, you, you've said you still consider yourself one of the best players in the world. Let's find out, dude. You know, uh, I don't I don't think Ben ever needs to make a three. To be one of the best players in the world, I kind of think that was a little too much. Uh, I mean, it's not too much for us to expect of him. That's not what I mean. But I just, I, I don't think that was ever necessary. But you do have to construct your team in an interesting way if he's going to be one of the best players in the world. So let's find out. Let's see if they do it. Mikel Bridges could hit threes. So, you know, let's let's find out. Um, I would love nothing more than for Cade Cunningham to just dominate this season. Um, I really like. I really like him. I really like him as a player. I like his attitude as a person. 
Um, and I really, really want to see him do something. Um, the thing that holds me back about Cade Cunningham is I kind of feel like if Asar Thompson is as good as he has been, that the guy that everyone's going to want to trade is going to be Cade, or at least kind of give up on. And the reason I say that, Chase, is because the Pistons have done this before and before. Um, because they have, they still got Killian Hayes on this team, and you know, like they were really high on Killian. I understand Killian's like, you know, a bust, so to speak, but they also really didn't do any favors to Killian by putting him in the starting lineup, yanking him out. He had 30 minutes one night, had five minutes the next. You know, he was he's the kind of player. If, if, when you have these young players that are kind of on the precipice, you have to you have to you know coax them in the right ways. And the Pistons haven't shown they know how to do that. And so I do wonder about Cade, uh, what this year's going to look like for him, because now they've draft, they've got three players that are projected to be point guards. Um, and I don't know how that works. It what just, it, it, it typically does not work. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're one of those teams that I, I said, I feel like they've been too bad for several years now and they've got so many young players that they might struggle to find enough time for everybody. Like you said, if, if top Thompson pops or Jaden Ivy, um, he had, he was really up and down last year. He maybe didn't have the best season overall, but I saw him play some awesome games. He looked really impressive at times. I think the Celtics ended up winning this game, but he lit the Celtics up one game uh, where Cade just like disappeared. Even Cade played that game. He was healthy and just I didn't see much out of Cade that time. So yeah, I mean this is uh, probably a huge year for him. And I'm just the only thing that has me like extra disappointed about that is I just don't think the Pistons are going to be good. So I I think he's going to have to prove it anyway. And even if he does have a good season, there's going to be a little bit of me that's like, okay, I'm comforted by this, but do I know that he's going to do this for a good team? as well as this bad team. Cause I, I just, as bad as the East is, I think they're one of the bottom like four teams in it. Yeah. I have got them. Yeah. I've got them 12th. <laughs> so, I mean, the bottom four, you know, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think they're, they're bad. So I don't know, but I, I'm, I hope, I hope for good things for Cade. Um, so we got a defense player of the year next. He got, he got there. Uh, that is where, um, while I don't have Giannis quite winning MVP, I think gaining Dame, I don't, Giannis seems like the player that would do this to me. We often talk about if you have a huge load to carry on offense, it's just really hard to also carry it on defense. I think Dame's going to be able to take a big bunch of the offensive burden off of his shoulders. And I won't be surprised. Giannis is always a year in and year out defensive player of the year candidate anyway. So I have him winning it because I think if Dame can kind of take over the offense a little bit, that might free Giannis up to do some real damage on defense. Plus, it takes away Drew Holiday, and Giannis might have to be more switchable and uh, defend some more of those perimeter players in addition to having a little bit more juice on defense. He might also have more expectations. Yeah, I... um, hmm. So I... Yeah... I don't disagree with you. That's perfectly fine. I'm just offended you didn't put Anthony Davis there. He's in my honorable <laughs> mentions. Uh, you do have to play 65 games. I know, year. Chase. <laughs> I know. I know. So one of the things they, um, I can't remember who it was, the, somebody on the ringer was talking about how it'd be really sad if Adebayo didn't win defensive player of the year before his career was up, was over. And I'm just sitting there going, the saddest possible 
scenario to me is Anthony Davis, who I truly believe is one of the 25 best defenders of all time, would not win Defensive Player of the Year. So I'm mm-hmm. really because because here's the thing: if 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 he plays if he plays 65 games, I think he's going to win it simply because last year from the All Star break through the time that they were eliminated in the playoffs, they were the best defensive team in the league. And when I say they were the best defensive team in the league, what I'm saying is Anthony Davis was the best defensive player in the league um, because he's the one cutting off all. He's the one that's cutting off the backdoor cuts. He's the one switching on the pick and rolls, you know, and he just, he's just a guy that people are just like, we're just not going to shoot around him. And so, you know, to me, he's, um, yeah, I, I, he's my pick. Uh, Giannis is perfectly fine. Um, I feel like if the Bucks win 60-odd games, there's going to be a real push to give them uh, awards. I think another guy that's like, <laughs> you know, at, that, you know, you're kind of, you mentioned him. But, I mean, uh, just the storyline of Drew Holiday winning it would be fun, I think. It would be uh, fun. Give another yeah. Celtics guard defensive player of the year. Yeah, you know, and I mean, the the Celtics are going to be a, a very good defensive team, and I think he's going to be the identity of that. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Davis is my Davis is my pick. Uh, Bam is kind of my backup. I feel like, man, I really, I, I know, I, Jaron Jackson, I know he averaged three blocks a game last year, but I really feel like Bam was the best defensive player last year. Um, other than Davis, you know, and, and I feel like he was, and the, the difference between him and Davis, of course, is Bam played 80 odd games. I think he played 80 games last year. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really. If you want to make a case for Bam over Jaron Jackson, it's also games played. He played a lot more than Jaron Jackson Jr. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm really high on him as a fifth player of the year. Same, pretty much for the same reasons Davis. I mean, stops backdoor cuts, switches on, switches at the top of the key. Um, you know, you at this point with how the league is, when you have a player like that, it just changes. It just changes everything. And uh, I think I think he's just a fantastic defensive player. Uh, we can, you know, there's very serious. There's very serious things to say about his offense, um, but he's a fantastic defensive player. And uh, yeah, I, he's probably my number two. Yeah, I've got, of course, I've got Giannis, Davis, Bam, Jaron Jackson, and Mobley are in my honorable mentions. And then, can you guess my wild card that I think actually could win it, but it would be kind of ridiculous? Bilal Kulabali? Uh, no, but you've got one thing in common. It's a rookie. Wimby could absolutely be in the conversation. Yeah, I mentioned, I think I mentioned a while ago, there's a couple people that are talking about him there. Um yeah, I mean, I think he could, you know, because um, the, the the case for Wimby, of course, is that uh, is going to be that just that every single night, you know, he plays, you know, you you have the potential to have this defensive play that no one's ever seen before. And that that's going to be the fun thing about it. I, I'm going to say something nice about Kawhi Leonard. Are you ready? I'm going to say something nice yeah. about Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Uh-huh. One of the best things about Kawhi Leonard is – particularly when he was playing for the Spurs, he made defense fun to watch. Yeah. You know, because when you, when you had a guy, when you had a guy that wasn't a, I would say an A ball handler, what the Spurs would do is they just make Kawhi go get that guy. And he would just, just watching him take the ball from people 
just walk up and take it from him with those giant, stupid, massive hands of his. He was a lot of fun to watch. And um, Wimby has that exact same kind of quality to him, where he makes defense fun to watch. I'm not sure Davis and Adebayo are fun to watch defensively, um, as just because of like it's more of a fundamental thing with them. Yeah. And, you know, but like Wimby's going to be fun to watch defensively. And uh, so, you know, he, he's going to be that guy that's like the casual fans really going to enjoy that. So, yeah, I mean, hey, I, you know, if it I, I, I would I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if he won defensive player of the year. Yeah, it's another one. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, especially I'm sure those are long odds and I do think it's a possibility. So uh, if I'm looking for a wild card, that's definitely mine. Um, okay, uh, Coach of the Year, I've already put mine down as a, a, a Dynault uh, for, I think I'm saying his name correctly, Dagnault, Dynault, something like Dagnault, that. maybe, yeah. Dagnault, I think, yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, for OKC, uh, I think he's just a really, really smart coach. Um, yeah, who, 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 who else uh, Who else is out there, you think? Oh, there's too many. This is another award that I think is difficult to – um, predict. This is probably me just trying to uh, hedge against the worst case scenario happening to me. I wrote down Adrian Griffin. I, I, it's not likely. Uh, but my thing, Missoula should have been in the running for it last year, except he just so visibly made mistakes. Like, if, if you're a first-year head coach and your team is the first or second best team of their conference, you should be in consideration for coach of the year. But at times, it just seems so obvious that Missoula was actually hurting them in different ways. So if the Bucks can win 55 or 60 games, and I think 55 is easily attainable and 60 is possible, and he's just not actively in their way, Griffin's going to have a chance of doing that. But yeah, I mean, it's such a toss-up. There are so many different coaches that could win it. It's just an absolute crime against basketball that um, Eric Spolster has never won it. So I've got him honorable mention, but I kind of think the Heat are going to be blasé in the regular season again. Michael Malone, I I imagine, especially on the heels of a title, that makes sense. Uh, Dagnault, absolutely. I think he's the betting favorite. He makes plenty of sense, but I think maybe too many people are in on that, but that's fine. Um, Missoula, if he actually gets better, if he doesn't make all the mistakes that he made last year. So if he shows actual tangible improvement as a coach and the Celtics are awesome, he could get it. Uh, and then my wild cards are Quinn Snyder with the Hawks. If they're just good enough, cause I think he's a good coach. So if he actually proves it with the Hawks and makes them a good team, uh, or Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies have so many problems right now. If he can get them to like a top two or three seed in the West, uh, people should look his way too. So again, just way too many people that could possibly win the award. I don't like picking it, but those are a few of them. I think Griffin definitely has a case anyway. So Jenkins was two for me for the similar reason. I, uh, I run, I run it based off of, um, I run it based off of kind of like, um, your storyline, of course. And then, um, so yeah, that that that's mine too. Um, you're gonna be shocked. I've got Missoula would probably be my third pick because I once again storyline. Yeah, I think it'd just yeah. be you know such an interesting storyline. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, last thing, uh, James Harden for Jay Walter Kennedy Citizenship, Citizenship Award, right? Yeah, I think it's probably him or Kyrie. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, so definitely, definitely, definitely looking at at those two. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see the, those guys who really know how to give back to their communities. Yeah, uh, let's give a uh, Kyrie the citizenship award and let's give Harden teammate of the year. There we go. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Okay, Case man, always fun, always a blast uh, talking basketball with you. Uh, thank you for coming on and uh, blattering on of me for forever and ever. I really do enjoy it. I appreciate it. Look forward to it every year. Heck yeah, so do I. People, go watch some basketball. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, good basketball is always going to be going on. A lot of, lot of great players. And as we say always, a phantom is for everyone. And hope everyone here has a, has a good night and has a good NBA season.